You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Happy episode 18 to you all. We're 18. This podcast can finally appear in pornographic films and drink alcohol. At least in the UK it can, anyway. Honestly, up until now, this podcast has been a completely alcohol-free zone. Somewhere my wife is laughing heartily. (laughs) So either tomorrow or Sunday, I was thinking about going out in the car with mother or dad. See, uh... No doubt you'll be out in the family car with mother and dad sometime tomorrow or Sunday. And here are two things you'll want to do. First, you'll want to stop by your Skelly service station for a tank full of Skelly Aeromax gasoline. Because Skelly Aeromax is a high-octane gasoline. We could do that. Mother and dad do enjoy a ride in a high-octane car. Then the other thing you'll want to do is to join the new 1940 flight patrol. Mm, I don't know if mother and dad will enjoy that so much. Your Skelly Man will give you your junior pilot's application card right away and send right in for your spinning propeller medal of membership. Remember, it doesn't cost you a penny. Is your voice getting higher there, sunshine? So see your Skelly Man and join the new 1940 flight patrol tonight. I think it's pronounced Skeleton. So the film club is off to a fine start. Andrew Wycliffe, who incidentally was the first person to sign up, so thank you for that, Andrew, left a dazzlingly sophisticated review on the Facebook page, an excerpt of which I shall read for you now. The London bombing scene is phenomenal, and I kept waiting in vain for there to be another set piece like that one especially since they carry that one into the great train station scene. Canterbury. There's some neat stuff in the film, but it would have benefited from a little more budget and more ingenuity from the director. I'm digging the idea of this digital film club. I am digging you guys too, Andrew. In fact, your review rocked my socks to such an extent that my wife had darning to do. In fact, I also read Andrew's full review over at his film blog at thestopbutton.com and marvelled at his wizardry with words. If you'd like a well-reasoned, superior take on the Brighton Strangler, do go over to thestopbutton.com and take a look. It's a great review. I couldn't have put it better myself. In fact, I didn't put it better myself. This, famously, was my attempt at a review. Walks past the poster for Canterbury. Canterbury! Canterbury. Uh, and then, all of a sudden, he hears a lady asking, you know, first class to Brighton. First class to Brighton, he says, while his eyes are closed and he's swaying next to the ticket office. Did you say first class to Brighton, sir? First class to Brighton. Oh, that'll be two and six. You know, and he's, uh, it's just brilliant. Uh, you know, no one notices... <laughs> Everyone notices that he's bombed. He's been bombed. <laughs> he manages to get to Brighton. <laughs> he strangles two people. 
I love this film so much. <laughs> Going to rain. <laughs> Excuse me, but would you like a boiled sweet? Like a boiled sweet. <laughs> it goes on and on and on and on. Can we give you a lift somewhere, Mr. Gray? Lift somewhere. <laughs> but where would you like to go? Like to go. Oh, I think we'd better take you to a hotel. Do you have a hotel? Have a hotel. <laughs> he just dumped him at a hotel. <laughs> uh, that review is the reason that, from time to time, strangers will stop me in the street and strike me. Pepsi-Cola refreshes without filling. Why? Because it's truly light. Charlie, you're forgetting something. Wait, Kay, there's more. Yeah, shut up, Kay. Yes, ice-cold Pepsi is the delicious refreshment that goes great at a picnic or a party. But, Charlie... And Shush, Kay. Pepsi goes fast. People like it, so keep plenty handy. There. Oh, you did fine, except for one thing. Well, I mentioned lightness and how Pepsi refreshes and how fast it goes. Yeah, Kay, he did really well. He left out Pepsi sociability. You know, the be sociable song. But, Kay, I can't sing. Yeah, Kay, give Charlie a break. He read his lines. What more do you want from Charlie, Kay? I can. Listen. Be sociable, look smart, keep up to date with Pepsi, drink light, refreshing Pepsi, stay young and fair and debonair, be sociable, have a Pepsi. You're a show-off, Kay. Well, at least I can say this. Pick up an extra carton of Pepsi today. Charlie wins, Kay. Please do. You just had to have the last word, didn't you, Kay? So, a new film has gone up at the Film Club page, and it's the film I went into raptures about a few episodes ago. Go and see what I was making all that fuss about. This is the classic British thriller from 1949, starring Robert Newton and Sally Gray. And its name is Obsession. If you haven't joined up yet, it only takes a moment. Just fill in the very simple form at the bottom of the page. And don't worry, I'm not going to use your Gmail address to spam you with mail or anything. It's simply so that I can add you to my private list of sharees on my YouTube account. Nothing more sinister than that, I promise. This is the last week. Yes, this week is your last chance on this program to hear how to get a 14-carat gold-plated copy of Sergeant Preston's famous mounted police whistle. So hurry, get this official two-tone police whistle offered only by Quaker Popped Wheat and Quaker Popped Rice. The swell-tasting king-size cereals shot from guns. I beg your pardon? You get with this terrific whistle a 12-inch gold-colored braided nylon cord to hang from your buttonhole or belt. It's a beauty of a whistle, plated with gleaming 14-karat gold. It's a heavy whistle. You can feel the weight and quality of the heavy-duty metal. It's a big whistle, actually over three and a half inches long. And listen to its two-tone sound that shows it's an official police whistle. Think of the signaling you can do with this Sergeant Preston whistle. Perfect for dark night, handy in any emergency. Think of all the muggings you could stop with that beauty. Just what you need for training and calling your dog. Don't forget, this police whistle is not for sale in any store. To get it... Buy a package of Quaker Popped Rice or Quaker Popped Wheat. The famous breakfast cereals shot from guns. He's 
definitely saying that out loud, isn't he? That's not just me, right? Actually exploded up to eight times normal size to make them bigger and better tasting. Delicious and tender as nuts in November. Oh, oh, that's good. So, this week, when it came to choosing a theme, I thought I'd look to the heavens. During the 40s, Hollywood seemed to develop an obsession with angels, or more suitably, an obsession with the afterlife itself. It's not difficult to see why when you consider that from 1939 to 1945, the world was being scorched by the Second World War and life was precarious. suddenly began to see hands joining across oceans, stirring speeches on the theme of good versus evil, songs and films about brotherhood and camaraderie and passionate patriotism in every nation. People wanted to believe that if their lives were taken, then there was something beyond. correspondent Ernie Pyle famously said that there are no atheists in foxholes. So Hollywood did its part during this period. It produced a series of flag-waving, drum-beating morale stories. You've got films such as Mrs. Miniver, starring Greer Garson as a housewife who refuses to be beaten by the war. You've got Pimpernel Smith, starring uh, Leslie Howard as a professor who rescues important thinkers from Nazi concentration camps, which is a brilliant update on the Scarlet Pimpernel. You've got Casablanca, of course, where Humphrey Bogart is a saloon owner who ends up beating the Gestapo and helping resistance fighters to flee to America. Hollywood was certainly doing its part to foster belief in people, to encourage the idea that everyone was helping to win the war. that in the 1940s, cinemas were the churches of the masses. They told people what to think, how to feel. They kept them informed. They introduced them to fashions and music and glamour. They were the world's main source of escapism and comfort. So in the early 40s, you began to see angels appearing in movies more often, and the message was clear. They were there to support, to charm, and to reassure the world that things were going to be okay. And even if the worst happened, you had a guiding hand and a friendly smile waiting for you. And for many people, it was exactly the tonic that they needed. Now, obviously, the film I should be talking about first, because this podcast takes its very name from it, is It's a Wonderful Life. Clarence the Angel is the quintessential Hollywood angel, softly spoken, reassuring, and utterly beguiling. But to be honest, I'm kind of saving that one for the festive period. It kind of stands alone, and to be perfectly honest, if I start talking about it, it'll turn into a hell of a long podcast, because I tend to go into raptures about it. So I'll spare you that one today, and we'll talk about a few of the other notable movie angels of the period. 
The first movie I want to tell you about is called A Matter of Life and Death, or as it's sometimes known in the United States, Stairway to Heaven. This stars David Niven as Peter Carter, an RAF pilot who's flying a bomber back to England after having carried out a bombing raid in Germany. His plane's badly damaged and about to crash, and his crew have all parachuted to safety. Peter's remained on board to pilot the plane, and his parachute has been destroyed. So in his last moments, he decides to try and contact a friendly voice on the radio so that he can say goodbye to someone before he jumps to his death from the burning plane. The voice he finds on the airwaves belongs to June, played by Kim Hunter, and in the few brief seconds they spend on the air together, they fall in love. Hello, G. George. Hello, G. George. Are you all right? Are you going to try and land? Do you want a fix? The name's not G. George, it's P. Peter. Peter D. Carter. D's for David. Squadron leader Peter Carter. Now I'm not going to land. Undercarriage is gone. In a port sun fire. I'm bailing out presently. I'm bailing out. Take a telegram. Got your message. Received your message. We can hear you. Telegram to my mother, Mrs. Michael Carter, 88 Hampstead Lane, London, North West. 88 Hampstead Lane, London. Tell her that I love her. You'll have to write this for me, but what I want her to know is that I love her very much. That I've never shown it to her, not really, but that I've loved her always, right up to the end. Give my love to my two sisters, too. Don't forget them. Received your message. We can hear you. Are you wounded? Repeat, are you wounded? Are you bailing out? What's your name? June. Yes, June, I'm bailing out. I'm bailing out, but there's a catch. I've got no parachute. Uh, hello, hello, Peter, do not understand. Hello, hello, Peter, can you hear me? Hello, June, don't be afraid. It's quite simple. We've had it, and I'd rather jump than fry. After the first thousand feet, what's the difference? I shan't know anything anyway. I say, I hope I haven't frightened you. No, I'm not frightened. Good girl. You sparks, you said he was dead, hasn't he got a shoot? Cut the ribbons, cannon shell. June, are you pretty? Not bad. Can you hear me as well as I hear you? Yes. You've got a good voice. You've got guts, too. It's funny, I've known dozens of girls. I've been in love with some of them, but an American girl whom I've never seen and who I never shall see will hear my last words. That's funny. It's rather sweet. June, if you're around when they pick me up, turn your head away. Perhaps we can do something, Peter. Let me report it. No, no one can help. Only you. Let me do this in my own way. I want to be alone with you, June. Where were you born? In Boston. Mass? Yes. That's a place to be born. History was made there. Are you in love with anybody? No, no, don't answer that. I could love a man like you, Peter. I love you, June. Your life and I'm leaving you. Where do you live? On the station? No, in a big country house about five miles from here. Lee Woodhouse. Old house? Yes, very old. Good, I'll be a ghost and come and see you. You're not frightened the ghost, are you? will be awful if you were. I'm not frightened. What time will you be home? Well, I'm on duty till six. I have breakfast in a mess and then I have to cycle half an hour. I often go along the sands. This is such nonsense. No, it's not. It's the best sense I ever heard. I was lucky to get you, June. Can't be helped about the parachute. I have my wings suit anyway, big white ones. I hope they haven't got all marked. I'd hate to have a prop instead of wings. What do you think the next world's like? I got my own ideas. Peter. I think it starts where this one leaves off, or where this one could leave off if we'd listen to Plato and Aristotle and Jesus. With all our little earthly problems solved, but with greater ones worth the solving. I'll know soon enough anyway. I'm signing off now, June. Goodbye. Goodbye, June. Hello, G for George. Hello, G George. 
Hello, G. George. The problem is that because the fog is so thick, the heavenly conductor, who's supposed to take Peter to heaven, misses him. Well, Peter awakes the next morning on a beach and is met by June, who's returning home after finishing her stint on the radio, and they fall deeper in love. It isn't long before the heavenly conductor, Conductor 71, a Frenchman who was executed in the French Revolution, arrives to take Peter to heaven. But Peter argues that because of Conductor 71's mistake, he's been allowed to fall in love and therefore should be allowed to continue to live. Who are you? We should have met yesterday at Eaufort, Wano, mon cher. Unfortunately, I missed you. Well, you couldn't have missed me because I wasn't here. Now, who the... I bring you a message from Mr. Trabshaw. Bob? Bob's dead. Oh, yes, he's dead. He says, what ho? Well, that sounds like Trubshaw. But he is dead, isn't he? On effet? But how? Why? Cannon shell. And what should happen to a man who jumps from his aircraft without his parachute? How do you know? But it is I who am telling you, my friend. It is I. Your time was up. But they missed you because of your ridiculous English climate. I am French. But what do you want now? You, my friend. What for? To conduct you. Where to? To the training center. Training for what? For another world. You don't mean... But, my dear friend, that is just what I do mean. So, Conductor 71 consults with his superiors, and they choose to hold a trial to decide whether Peter should be made to come to heaven or remain on Earth. When Peter tries to explain the situation to June, she assumes that he may be suffering from some kind of trauma from when he jumped from the plane, so she refers him to her friend, Dr. Reeves, played by Roger Livesey in this, who instantly deduces that Peter's actually suffering from mild brain damage due to an injury he sustained a few years earlier. From here on in, the entire film is played out both ways, and it's ingenious stuff. Is Peter really being visited by heavenly conductors who want to take him to the afterlife? Or is it the dream of a soldier with a brain injury? It takes the wildly unconventional step of showing you everything that takes place on Earth in dazzling technicolour. There's a really dreamy, gauzy glow to everything. Whereas everything that takes place in heaven is in cold black and white. It's very expressionistic, rather stark and unforgiving. If you think of how Victor Fleming handled the same kind of thing in The Wizard of Oz just a few years earlier, it was the real world that was in monochrome and the fantasy land was the realm of colour. Conductor 71 even remarks on it at one point. When he's starved for Technicolor up there. There's some fascinating imagery in the film, most notably an actual stairway to heaven which stretches up through the skies and out into space, winding its way in and around the cosmos before ending at the pearly gate. David Niven is uniformly excellent in the film as the slightly damaged soldier who wants to fight for his right to stay with the woman he loves. Kim Hunter is a little inconsequential. She's quite endearing, but generally your typical simpering heroine. Roger Livesey is such a wonderful presence, though. He takes charge of Peter's case, both medically and heavenly, and from the off, he does his best to put Peter at ease, telling him not to give up and to keep insisting upon his court case with heaven, even though he's at the same time making arrangements to operate on Peter's brain. He's rather like the father figure, best friend, sort of awesome elder brother you'd want around if you were ill. 
it helps that he rides a motorbike and has an awesome beard too. Then you have Raymond Massey as the heavenly prosecutor, Abraham Farlan, who's determined to defeat Peter's appeal. He has a long-standing grudge against anyone English, as he was the first American casualty of the American Revolutionary War, and so he's dying to thwart any Englishman's happiness. It definitely takes some turns you won't be expecting, especially in its second half, and it remains a high watermark in not only storytelling, but filmmaking. It's regularly held up as one of Britain's most successful movie achievements. I'm quite sure that most of you will have seen it already, but if If you haven't, you really should seek it out. It has a rather disorientating feel to it. It never feels safe, and it's radically unlike anything else from the period. It also contains intensely dark scenes which are contrasted against blindingly bright moments of humanity. Do search it out. The second film isn't just a great film about angels, it's also a great Christmas film. This one stars David Niven again as Bishop Henry Brom, Loretta Young as his wife Julia, and Cary Grant as Dudley, an angel sent to help Henry, and it's called The Bishop's Wife. So this tells the story of a New York bishop who's been neglecting his wife and daughter and devoting all his efforts to the building of a cathedral. He desperately needs a donation from a wealthy old widow called Mrs. Hamilton. And when she starts to go cold on the idea, he prays for guidance. And in response, Dudley appears. Good evening. Good evening. What can I do for you? That isn't the question. Well, what is it? What can I do for you? Look, I'm afraid I must ask you to telephone my secretary for an appointment. I'm in the middle of dinner. I know, Henry. Your soup will keep warm. You asked for help. I? I... Who told you I asked for help? Well, you were known to be a good man, Henry, and you were heard. I was instructed to come here in answer to your prayer. Who are you? I'm an angel. I beg your pardon? I'm an angel. No wings at the moment, but... Uh... You're an angel. Oh, I knew it. I, I've been working too hard. It isn't long before Dudley starts to make changes around the household, and everything seems to be getting better until Dudley falls in love with the bishop's wife, which causes Henry to reevaluate his feelings towards his family and towards the cathedral just in time for Christmas. There's one thing I know about this. Julia is absolutely blameless. Of course she is. You deliberately stopped me from joining you. Julia had a very good time. Well, I didn't. Hmm. If you'd sent me to represent you with Mrs. Hamilton, I would have gone. You didn't, so I represented you with your wife. Is that part of the normal duties of an... ...of an angel? Sometimes, Henry. Angels must rush in where fools fear to tread. It's got one of the greatest supporting casts ever. You have the bride of Frankenstein herself, Elsa Lanchester, as the housekeeper. You have Monty Woolley, the man who came to dinner, as this cantankerous old professor. And then to top it all off, you have Zuzu herself, Carolyn Grimes as Debbie, the bishop's daughter. God, she was in so many Christmassy angel films. This is a year after she appeared in It's a Wonderful Life as Zuzu. So she's exactly the same. It's quite the deja vu-inducing experience. Thank you.
the similarities actually don't end there. Surprisingly, Bobby Anderson, who played the young George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life, also stars in this as the leader of the gang of kids in the park who has a snowball fight. Hey, fellas! Hey, fellas! Who's the head man around here? I am! I am! What's the idea of this game you're playing? This isn't a game. This is a battle. We attack the fort and they try to defend it. See? Oh, yeah, then I see. Well, this young lady would like to get into it. Who, her? She can't fight. Her father's a bishop. But what difference does it make what her father is? Are you high hat? How'd you like her to play on your team? She couldn't throw a snowball as far as I could spit. <laughs> oh, couldn't she? Come on, Debbie. You show them what you can do. It's true. I can't throw. Nonsense. Of course you can. Now, here. We pack it tight, put it in that hand, draw the arm back, aim it right at him, and let it go. Hey! Beautiful. A bullseye. She pitched a curve. Did you see that? Come on, kid. You're in our army. We've broken their morale. It's a really warm-hearted film, lots of magic in it, and the absolutely perfect film to watch on the run-up to Christmas. It has a real tearjerker of an ending as well. You really feel for Dudley, and the whole thing is wrapped up in a glowing, sentimental Christmas box. Unashamedly romantic stuff. Funny little bit of trivia about this film. When it was first released, it was an absolute flop. And when Samuel Goldwyn, the producer of the film, did a poll to find out why, he was told that it was because people thought it was a religious film. So Goldwyn went away and had all the film's posters changed so that the title of the film was Carrie and the Bishop's Wife and showed a picture of Cary Grant picking Loretta Young up and David Niven in the background looking annoyed. So when the film was re-released, it was a huge hit because audiences thought it was a sex comedy. The last film I want to tell you about is from 1941 and it's called Here Comes Mr. Jordan. This one stars Robert Montgomery as Joe Pendleton, a boxer who's on his way to becoming the heavyweight champion of the world. Joe has two great loves. One is his saxophone and the other is his playing. Joe's a qualified pilot and loves to fly himself all over the country to his fights. He's on his way back to New York, happily playing his saxophone as he flies across a mountain range when a control cable snaps and the plane hurtles toward the ground. Before it hits, though, Joe is pulled from the plane by Messenger 7013, played by Edward Everett Horton, one of my all-time favourite actors, and taken to heaven. When he gets there, Joe meets Mr. Jordan, played by another of my favourite actors ever, the absolutely magnificent Claude Rains. I'm trying to tell you, fellas, I, I'm not ready for this place yet. I never felt better in my life. I'm in the pink. How can I be dead? Oh, really, sir, it isn't possible that he could have survived while he was hurtling to Earth with the speed of a meteor. Yeah, but I wouldn't have crashed. I'd have pulled the ship out somehow if you'd let me alone. Do you mean to say you took him out of that plane before it crashed? Yeah, that's what he did. Yes, sir. Oh, I know that we messengers shouldn't permit our emotions to sway us, but there he was, sir, just plummeting earthward. I wanted to spare him the agony of crashing, so... Unpardonably presumptuous. Yeah. Well, I I'm just desolate about it, sir. What territory do you cover? It's a place called New Jersey. And if it could be arranged, sir, I should like very much to be transferred. You're new, aren't you? I am, yes, sir. It's my first trip. I was put on only this morning. I thought so. 
Overzealousness, out for record collections. This happens right along with the inexperienced. Really? Oh, dear. Well, it wasn't in the cards. Nothing can happen to me when I got my lucky sacks along. And how did he manage to wangle that thing up here? Mr. Jordan, sir, on Pendleton Joseph, the official record says both his parents are happily withdrawn and awaiting his arrival. Joseph is scheduled to join them the morning of May 11th, 1991. 1991? That's 50 years from now. What did I tell you? It seems you were a little premature. Mr. Jordan promises to take Joe back to Earth and put him back in his body so that he can continue where he left off. But when they get there, Joe's body has been removed and cremated. Cremated, that's what I said. While you guys kept me up here, Gavin, that cork will get my body out of the plane and has me cremated. That's bad. Bad? Oh, it's deplorable. I'll never forgive myself. I feel just ghastly. How do you think I feel? Well, I see that corkle. You can't go around burning me up like that and get away with it. Very bad. This complicates everything. I have an idea, Mr. Jordan. Couldn't we have him reborn? Nothing doing. I'm not going to go through that again. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, I see I'll have to take personal charge of this. Now you're talking, Mr. Jordan. You've got to get busy and do something. I intend to. Come along, Joseph. Wait a minute. Where to? I'm taking you back. Yeah, but you can't. Didn't we just tell you I haven't got a body anymore? What of it? I'll get you another body. You'll do what? Another body? Well, that's what I said. Come along, Joseph. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What kind of a deal is this? You can't go shoving just anybody body off on me. No, not on your life. Mr. Pendleton, please. If Mr. Jordan says he'll get you another body, he'll get you another body. Every bit as good as your own, if not better. There isn't any better. I put in ten years getting that body in the pink. Just because you guys fumbled the ball is no but reason... Joseph, it's gone. Your body doesn't exist any longer. But that isn't my fault. You guys can do anything. Go ahead, do your stuff. We shall, Joseph. You shall have your choice of a thousand bodies, all excellent specimens. So when Joe and Mr. Jordan get back to Earth and start looking for recently dead guys for Joe to hop into, they stumble into the house of a crooked banker named Bruce Farnsworth, who's in the process of being murdered by his wife and her lover. Well, at first, Joe's reluctant to step into Bruce Farnsworth's shoes because who'd want to take up residence in that household? Until he sees Betty Logan, played by Evelyn Keyes, whose father was financially ruined by Farnsworth. So he falls instantly in love with her and agrees to jump into Farnsworth's body to help her get her money back, plus to expose Mrs. Farnsworth and her lover as murderers, on the condition that he can give up Farnsworth's body later and look for a more permanent place to stay. This is absolutely Hollywood firing on every single fantasy cylinder it has. You have vast, dreamy, smoky landscapes to represent heaven. You have broad comedy strokes where Joe's trainer, Max, played by James Gleason, is this neck-scratching, wise-cracking, lovable rogue who doesn't buy into the story at first, but soon becomes Joe's confidant and totally believes that he's come back from the dead. You have lush production design, especially in the heavenly scenes, but more notably in the home of Bruce Farnsworth with its art deco rooms and furniture. And at the centre, you have a really sweet story about an angel trying to find a home for a lost soul. Claude Rains as Mr. Jordan is the personification of everyone's ideal grandfather figure. He's benevolent, majestic, grandeur. He's wise and lovable, and most importantly, he's on Joe's side from the very start. Claude Rains was absolutely born to play this role. He made quite the entrance onto the world's stage with The Invisible Man, where he swaggered and slithered his way to stardom. But it was in roles like this, and as Captain Renault in Casablanca, and as Senator Payne in Mr. Smith goes to Washington, the supporting roles where he was the absolute heart of the film, where he really found his niche. He never really 
put a foot wrong, and he certainly didn't break that streak here. He's worth the admission price alone. Robert Montgomery as Joe Pendleton is serviceable. He, he really could have been played by someone better. You kind of get the feeling that this story would have been better served by a Cary Grant or a John Garfield, someone who was a more effortless actor, but he never distracts. As for the film itself, it's a gorgeous fantasy, a total Sunday afternoon movie. Just make sure you've eaten well and that you're well introduced to a glass of good wine. This film has an absolutely golden glow to it. You can see why it was so popular when it was released. It's the cinematic equivalent of a chocolate box. You just want to dive in and stay there for a while. It's very easy to watch and very easy to love. And if angels are anything like Mr. Jordan, then no one has anything to worry about. The radio play for this week was a really tough one to choose. Until the 11th hour, you were going to get a superb version of A Matter of Life and Death, starring Robert Cummings in the David Niven role. But then I came across an absolutely pristine version of Here Comes Mr. Jordan, starring Cary Grant as Joe Pendleton and James Gleason and Evelyn Keyes in their original role. It's too good to be true. You have Dudley the Angel playing in Here Comes Mr. Jordan, and to be honest, it was too good to pass up. So I struggled long and hard to decide which one to give to you. I know A Matter of Life and Death has many, many fans, but I've always been about giving a leg up to things you might not have seen or heard. But it's A Matter of Life and Death, so what the hell, you're getting them both. For fans of brevity, I do apologise that this show is going to be a little longer than usual, but I honestly couldn't decide. So I'm going to give you Here Comes Mr. Jordan first, followed by A Matter of Life and Death. So squirm down into that chair you're in, drink in the sunshine, let that grin spread its way across that face of yours, and relax, relax, relax into this bonus, extended, and ultra-angelic edition of Attaboy Clarence. Up first is the Lux adaptation of Here Comes Mr. Jordan, starring Cary Grant, Evelyn Keyes, and James Gleason. Now the rising curtain brings Here Comes Mr. Jordan. Starring Cary Grant as Joe, Claude Rains as Mr. Jordan, Evelyn Keyes as Betty, and James Gleason as Max. Here are the Adirondack Mountains. Here are the murmuring pines, the leafy glades. Here are the cool, bubbling streams. And here in this mountain paradise, are two prize fighters trying to knock each other's brains out. They're sparring away in the training ring. The one in the blue trunks is Joe Pendleton, contender for the championship of the world. And that man at the ringside in the battered derby is his trainer, Max Corkle. Okay, Joe, that's enough. Cut it out. Inside for a rubdown. Oh, come on, Max. They only had five rounds. Can I have a couple more? You heard me. I said that's enough now. Save some of that for my dog. Hey, how'd that look, Maxie? Just fair. Not enough speed. Go on. I'm in the pink. Break down, Maxie. Who's your favorite fighter? Stop your clowning. Look, Joe, I decided to finish training in New York, so we'll break camp right after lunch. Yeah? Oh, that's great. I can fly myself down this afternoon, huh? Oh, listen, Joe. Do me a favor, will you? Leave that plan of yours up here and take the train down. Will you do that? Oh, what can happen to me when I got the lucky saxophone along? Hey, where is it? Where's my sax? Oh, here it is, Joe. Oh, thanks, pal. Joe, I don't like this flying business. The way we're sitting out within two weeks in the greatest fight of your life and on the way to the championship, why take chances? Oh, yeah? Fine thing. Me known as a flying pug, the papers will all say flying pug takes train. 
Fine thing. Ah, oh, Joe. I'll meet you in New York at the gym tomorrow. <laughs> hey, Maxley. How about a little of your favorite tune, huh? No, not now, Joe. I, yep. Uh... Oh, Joe, cut out, will This is serious. Joe. That's awful. Will you please lay off? Will you lay off? What goes on? What's the matter with this? Hey, what the? What? Hey, come on, baby, straighten out. Don't give me that stuff. Hey, hey, come on. Come on, baby. Jersey now, Mr. Pendleton. Your plane crashed. Now listen, if I'm in New Jersey, where am I? And who are you? I am messenger number 7013. My mission is to take care of all dead persons in my territory. Huh? Dead? Who's dead? You are, Mr. Pendleton. Oh, you're screwy. I never felt better in my life. I'm in a pig. How can I be dead? Mr. Pendleton, look around you. Does this look like the earth? Well, all I can see is a lot of clouds. Have you ever walked on clouds before? No, and furthermore, I don't like it, so get me out of here. Oh, no. Oh, no, we can't leave just yet, Mr. Pendleton. You see, this is the halfway point, the stopover for new arrivals from the world. Oh, listen, you don't make any sense at all. You must be a little crank. I'm doing New York. I've got to get there. Where can I find a taxi? There are no taxis here, as you can see, sir. Hey, hey, who are all those people over there? Oh, uh, the new arrivals, sir. They're waiting to be checked off the list. Oh, yeah? Well, I hope they ain't all as screwy as you. I'll find out about this thing. Oh, Mr. Pendleton, come back. Messenger 424 reporting, sir. Nine passengers. We'll check their names against this list and then proceed. Yes, sir. Hey, who's in charge around here? Where's the boss? Oh, Mr. Pendleton, will you stop this commotion? What's the trouble? Oh, oh, uh, messenger 7013 reporting, sir. No trouble at all. No, there's no trouble yet, but there's going to be. Are you the boss here? Oh, Mr. Pendleton, a little more respect. This is Mr. Jordan. Oh, Mr. Jordan, eh? Well, look, Mr. Jordan, I want to get a taxi to New York and quick. What is the meaning of this? Oh, it's a very difficult case, sir. Fought me tooth and nail all the way up here. Uh, fought him. Huh. How do you like that? Listen, Mr. Jordan, don't waste your time listening to this comic. Do you know what he keeps telling me? He keeps telling me I'm dead. I'm afraid you are. Oh, what? Dead. Oh, you too, eh? You're just as crazy as he oh, is. Oh, well, Mr. Pendleton, now, please. What is his name? A Pendleton. Joseph. No, no, you even got that board up. I'm Joe... Not Joe Pendleton! Not Pendleton, Joseph. It's oh, Joe Pendleton. Pendleton. I'm going to be Pendleton, Pendleton, Pendleton. I don't see his name on my list. Well, I can't be on any list. What's your occupation? Musician? Musician? Whatever gave you the idea I'm a musician? Well, that uh, instrument you're carrying? Oh, that? Oh, that's my sax. That's just a hobby, like flying. Look, I'm Joe Pendleton, the flying pug, they call me. I'm a prize fighter. You were a prize fighter. There's no Pendleton, Joseph, listed. There, you see? What did I tell you? Mr. Sloan... Contact the registrar's office, will you? Ask them for everything they have on Pendleton Joseph. Yes, sir. No, I'm trying to tell you, fellas, I'm not ready for this place yet. I never felt better in my life. I'm in the pink. Strange he isn't on the list. Oh, now, really, sir, it isn't possible that he could have survived. Why, he was hurtling to earth with the speed of a meteor. Yes, but I wouldn't have crashed. I'd have pulled the ship out somehow if you left me alone. Oh, quiet. Messenger. Uh, yes, Mr. Jordan. 
Am I to understand that you took this man out of that plane before it crashed? Yeah, that's what he did. Uh, yes, sir. I, um... Unpardonably presumptuous. Yes, sir. Oh, but there he was, sir, just plummeting earthward. I wanted to spare him the agony of crashing. That's enough, sir. please. You're new, aren't you? I am, yes, sir. I was put on only this morning. I thought so. Overzealousness. Out for record collection. Mr. Jordan. <laughs> yes? On Pendleton Joseph, the official record says both his parents are happily withdrawn and awaiting his arrival. Joseph is scheduled to join them the morning of May 11th, 1992. 1992? 10-22? Well, that's 50 years from now. What did I tell you? It seems you were a little premature. Hmm. 50 years to go yet. You fellas certainly pulled a boner this time. Oh, uh, Mr. Pendleton, I feel I owe you an apology. I'll tell the world you do. Oh, well. Never mind. We all make mistakes. There's no harm done. Just forget about it and take me back. Uh, take you back? Naturally. Take him back. Return him to the body out of which you so indiscreetly snatched him. Yeah, make it snappy. Well, I'm glad to mention, Mr. Jordan, and thanks for straightening everything out for me. Not at all. <laughs> I'll be seeing you 50 years from now, if you're still on the job. I will be. Well... Come on, let's go. And uh, Mr. Pendleton, if you don't mind, I'm the one who says let's go. Let's go. Strolling around on the clouds. Is there anything wrong? Oh, oh, uh, Mr. Jordan. Oh, hello, Mr. Jordan. I didn't expect to see you for 50 years, Mr. Pendleton. Oh, Mr. Jordan, something terrible has happened. Uh, shut up, I'll tell him. You keep quiet. Now, look, Mr. Jordan. We go down there to New Jersey. Well, my body ain't in the plane. No, then we go to Corker's place. My body ain't there either. Finally, I find out what's happened. While you guys kept me up here gabbing, that Corker gets my body out of the plane and has me cremated. <laughs> cremated? Yeah. Oh, that's bad. Oh, it's deplorable, Mr. Jordan. I feel just ghastly. Well, how do you think I feel? <laughs> Wait till I see that cork go. You can't go around burning me up and get away with it. It's very bad. This complicates everything. Oh, I have an idea, Mr. Jordan. Couldn't we have him reborn? Nothing doing. I'm not going to go through that again. <laughs> well, I see I'll have to take personal charge of this. Come along, Joseph. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Where to? Well, I'm taking you back to Earth. Yeah, but you can't. Didn't I just tell you? I haven't got a body anymore. What of it? I'll get you another body. Huh? You'll do what? Um, another body? That's what I said. Come along, Joseph. Ah, uh, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. What kind of a deal is this? You can't go shoving just anybody's body off on me. Not on your life. I put in ten years getting that body in the pink. But, Joseph, it's gone. Your body doesn't exist any longer. Now, Mr. Jordan. Now, Joe, you shall have your choice of a thousand bodies. All excellent specimens. I promise you, we'll keep looking until we find a body you like. Now, that's fair enough, isn't it? Mm. Well, I don't want any more than what's coming to me. I just want what it was and what it was going to be. No more, no less. So I expect you to make good, Mr. Jordan. I'll do my best. Come along. Goodbye, Mr. Pendleton. Good luck. Oh, that sounds mighty weird coming from you. I thought that messenger fellow was good at getting you around, but you're terrific, Mr. Jordan. Russia, Australia, South Africa, and now New York. How do you do it? Well, that's a trade secret, Joe. Yeah? 
Joe, we've made 130 stops. I've offered you the cream of last week's crop, and you've turned up your nose at the lot. Yeah, but there wasn't a decent physique in the whole bunch, Mr. Jordan. You can't slip me a second raider. You've got to remember I was in the pink. That is becoming a most obnoxious color, Joe. <laughs> now, don't mention it again, please. Oh, okay, I won't. Well, where's the next stop? The next stop is that house across the street. Oh, yeah? Hey, it's a pretty snazzy place, isn't it? Who did we size up in there? The owner, Bruce Farnsworth. Well, look, uh, I can't go into a place like that. I, I mean, well, you've got to dress up a little, you know. Joe, I've explained it 20 times. No one can see us, and no one can hear us. Oh. We are invisible, Joe. Yeah, that's right. I keep forgetting. Well, let's take a look at this bird. You know, Mr. Jordan, I'll never get used to this. To what, Joe? Walking through walls. It ain't natural. Hey, uh, what's the dope on this Farnsworth guy? Well, he's about your age and uh, fairly husky. Well, about my age and he's got a joint like this, he must be rolling in dough. He inherited it, Joe. Uh -huh. uh, well set up? Oh, quite. Uh, played polo a while back. Oh, that sounds good. Is he dead? No. Mm. Going to die, though, huh? Mm-hmm. Sick, huh? No, not uh, really. He uh, has a slightly run-down condition. Oh, just slightly run-down. <laughs> Going to die, that's all. He's being murdered, Joe. What? Murdered? You mean... Well, is it going on right now? Mm-hmm. But right here in this house? That's right. Well, who's doing it? His wife. <laughs> and the man she's in love with, Farnsworth's confidential secretary. Whew. Nice people you want me to meet. How are they killing him? They're drowning him in the bathtub. <laughs> Holy cow. Well, come on, let's cram out of here. I'm going to keep my nose clean. Now, wait, Joe. Oh, now, look, Mr. Jordan. You don't think I'm crazy enough to change places with a guy who's got a wife like that hanging around? I ain't punch drunk yet. We'll have to wait here until I collect him. It's my job. Well, how can you sit there when there's a guy being killed? Why don't we call the cops? I'm afraid they wouldn't pay any attention to us, Joe. Even the New York's finest can't see or hear us. Oh, yeah, that's right. Wait. All over. What? You mean he's dead? Hmm? He's dead. Hurry, Tony. It's all right, Julia. Now keep calm. Hey, are those the two that did it? Mm-hmm. That's uh, Mrs. Farnsworth and the secretary, Tony Abbott. Gee, to look at her, you wouldn't think... Well, she don't look like a murderer, Mr. Jordan. Just you listen, Joe. Tony, I'm frightened. Get hold of yourself, Julia. Tony, I don't know what's come over me. I have a feeling I can't shake off the... There's something weird, something hanging over us, watching us. Mm, you said it, sister. Come now, stop it, Julia. Now, what could be more natural? A glass of warm milk, a sleeping tablet or two, and a very tired, dissipated young man unfortunately drowses off in his bath. I beg your pardon, Mrs. Farnsworth. Yes, what is it? Uh, Miss Betty Logan is here. She wants to see Mr. Farnsworth. Send her away. Don't be silly, Julia. Ask Miss Logan to come in, Sisk. Very good, sir. I can't talk to her now, Tony. Of course you can. Just be sympathetic. I'll be in the study. If she becomes difficult, bring her in to me. Hey, who's this Logan? Somebody else mixed up in the murder? You judge for yourself, Joe. Miss Logan. How do you do, Miss Logan? I'm Mrs. Farnsworth. May I see Mr. Farnsworth, please? I've got to see him. Why, yes, he'll be right down. Oh, be right down. She knows he's dead. Mrs. Farnsworth... <laughs> My father's been arrested. Yes, I know. I'm sorry. He's sick, Mrs. Farnsworth. This will kill him. And he's not guilty of anything. It was about some worthless securities he sold, wasn't it? That Mr. Farnsworth sold under my father's name. Really? And what do you expect Mr. Farnsworth to do? I... I don't know. 
But he can't send an innocent man to jail. Well, I don't know about these things. Mr. Abbott has all the facts in the case, and he's in the study. Would you care to see him? Yes, if I could, please. Just come right in. Thank you. Oh, Mr. Jordan. That Logan girl. Oh, boy, I've never seen anything as beautiful as that. Not even in heaven. She is pretty, isn't she? Yeah. She's in a tough spot. She's got a lot of courage to come here alone to fight for her father. She worships him. Yeah. Well, she's no match for those buzzards. She needs help. You better go to work. Farnsworth is the only one who can help her, Joe. Well, he's dead. Yes. But you can be Farnsworth. Huh? Well, what do you mean? I don't get it. It's quite simple. What? You mean you want me to be Farnsworth and have a swell girl like that hate me? But you'll make a very different Farnsworth, Joe. Spiritually, there'll be no change in you. Uh, yeah, but I wouldn't be myself. A guy's no good if he isn't himself. Joe, you'll always be yourself. You'd merely be using Farnsworth's physical covering, like uh, putting on a new overcoat. Yeah? Well, it better be a pretty good overcoat. It's got to last me 50 years. <laughs> but inside that coat, you'd still be Joe Pendleton, thinking, acting, and feeling. Yeah, yeah. But that run-down overcoat, that playboy Farnsworth, I'd have to give up everything, a crack at the title, and... Uh... No, no, I couldn't do it, Mr. Jordan. I'd like to help you, but not that way. Oh, sis? Yes, Mr. Abbott? You tell Mr. Farnsworth that Miss Logan is here to see him? Yes, sir. Now, what's the idea? That, 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 that guy Abbott knows Farnsworth is dead. Oh, very convenient, the butler discovering the body. You haven't much time to decide, Joe. Hmm. Well, don't rush me. I've got to do some figuring. Make up your mind, Joe. Well, now look. What if I did it only temporary? Supposing I was Farnsworth just for a little while until after I helped that kid out. Could I do that? If you wish it. All right. And after you got me out of Farnsworth's body, you'd have to get me a body that would suit me. Is that clear? Quite. Okay, it's a deal. Well, come on, Mr. Jordan. We've got to hurry. Hey, hey, look at me, Mr. Jordan, I'm all wet <laughs> I'm soaking wet Well, you just got out of the bath, Joe That's where Farnsworth was Yeah, well, uh, where's Farnsworth now? You're Farnsworth What? Oh, no, no, wait, wait We can't get away with this Mr. Jordan, I still feel like me I still sound like me Inwardly, you haven't changed, Joe Outwardly, you're Bruce Farnsworth, and that's what they'll see and hear. Mr. Farnsworth, are you in there? Answer him, Joe. Uh, answer him? What, you mean people can hear me now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but he knows that other guy's voice. That is exactly what you'll hear. To everyone else, you'll seem to be talking like Bruce Farnsworth. Mr. Farnsworth, is anything wrong? Please answer me, sir. Go ahead, Joe. Oh, okay. I'll be out in a minute. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. There. <laughs> now, what he heard was the voice of Farnsworth. Oh, <laughs> it was, huh? And when you open that door, what he sees will be Farnsworth. You try it. Okay, here goes. <clears throat> Excuse me, Mr. Farnsworth, but there's a Miss Logan... What'd you call me? Why, uh, Mr. Farnsworth. Mr... <clears throat> hey, go on. There's a Miss... <laughs> A Miss Logan here to see you, sir. Yeah, I know. I beg your pardon, sir? I mean, uh, I'll go right down. Yeah. <laughs> you never batted an eye, Mr. Jordan. I beg your pardon, sir? Remember, Joe, people can hear you now. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Forgot uh, what, sir? Nothing, I was only thinking. Well, look, Mr. Jordan, you mean they, they still can't see or hear you? No, Joe. Who can't see and hear whom, sir? <laughs> Nobody beat it, will you? I'll be right down. Very good, sir. Isn't that amazing? Mr. Farnsworth, he calls me, looking right at me. 
How do you do it, Mr. Jordan? Well, if there were no mystery left to explore, Joe, life would get rather dull, wouldn't it? Now to the library, and I think you're going to be something of a surprise down there. My husband's taking rather long, isn't he? Yes, very long. Well... Perhaps he won't come down at all. Julia? So why don't you go, Miss Logan? There's no help for you. Your father's in jail to stay. Hello. Somebody want me? Mr. Farnsworth. Bruce. Bruce, what are you... Hello, Miss Logan. I'm glad to see you. Mr. Farnsworth, I'd like to speak to you privately. Yeah, sure. Why not? How about outside? Bruce, you... You... What's the matter? Nothing. I... I just... Oh, hey, Abbott. Mrs. Farnsworth looks a little pale around the gills. She looks like she's going to... Oh, she did. (laughs) Well, pick her up. This way, Miss Logan. Oh, sit down, Miss Logan. What's on your mind? Mr. Farnsworth, I just want one thing. I want you to get my father out of jail. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's in jail, isn't he? As if you didn't know, you put him there. Well, Farnsworth did. I mean, you see, I'm not really... Well, you know how it goes. Now, Now, for instance, if you want to change overcoats... This is hardly the time for jokes. Oh, well, I'm not joking, Miss Logan. Then admit it. You did put my father in jail. Well, all right, I did. But I didn't have anything to do with it. You're just trying to put me off. You're trying to make a fool out of me. You think you can laugh me out of it as if I were a child. Oh, look, your father's going to be all right, Miss Logan. Another Farnsworth trick. They told me there was no use coming here to talk to you. Oh, now, please, listen. I knew you were cruel. But to play with people like this and torture them. Oh, oh you're horrible. Horrible. Oh, wait, Miss Logan. I'll get your father out. I'll... Listen. She's a high-spirited girl, Joe. Yeah. Did you hear that, Mr. Jordan? I was sitting right there. Yeah. Well, I certainly fixed it, didn't I? <laughs> she likes me a lot. She will in time. Oh, go on. I'm poison to her. Mr. Jordan... This won't work. You better get me out of this, this this overcoat and let's get moving. She is wonderful, though, isn't she? Oh, yeah. Boy, I'd give my right arm if I could help her. But you promised you would, didn't you? You can't very well move on until you've made good. Yeah, but it's no use. I don't even know what to do. Bruce Farnsworth can do anything he wishes. Well, I'll have to be leaving you now, Joe. Hmm? What? My work's piling up. I'll have to get back. Yeah, but, but you can't leave me holding the bag in a mess like this. I'll be back whenever you need me. So long, Joe. Yeah, but... Mr. Jordan! Oh, Mr. Jordan, don't go walking through walls on me. Hey, oh, where are you? Mr. Jordan! Mr. Jordan! <laughs> Holy cow! In just a moment, Mr. DeMille and our stars, Cary Grant, Claude Rains, Evelyn Keyes, and James Gleason will return in Act Two of Here Comes Mr. Jordan. Well, here's Libby Collins, our Hollywood reporter. Welcome, Libby. What's new? I've had the most exciting afternoon, Mr. Ruick. Lieutenant Lupino and I... Lieutenant Lupino? Now, wait a minute, Libby. Are you referring to Ida Lupino? Of course, Mr. Ruick. Ida's a lieutenant in the Women's Ambulance Defense Corps. She enlisted as a private in the Corps, learned how to be a fine mechanic, and now she's a lieutenant. You should see her in her snappy uniform. She looks lovelier than ever. I believe it, Libby. The same exquisite complexion, of course. Ida's a real luxe girl. You bet she is. She says her daily complexion care is an active lather facial with Lux soap. She's glad these busy days it's such a quick, easy care, a care that really works. You know, Libby, I think the ladies in our audience would like to know just how Ida Lupino takes her daily Lux beauty facial. Won't you tell them? Gladly, Mr. Ruick. Here's what Ida says. Pat the creamy Lux soap lather lightly in, rinse with warm water, then with a dash of cool. 
pat gently with the towel to dry. Ida says her skin feels smoother after this daily care, that it's a wonderful beauty aid. Many other famous Hollywood stars say that too, Libby. They depend on their Lux Soap Complexion Care these extra busy days. They do, Mr. Roick, because they've found these beauty facials such an easy, quick way to help keep skin smooth. I'm sure every woman who tries this famous Hollywood care will agree with you, Libby. Why not begin tomorrow and try these facials for 30 days? See how thoroughly Lux Soap's gentle, active lather removes stale cosmetics and every trace of dust and dirt. See how flower-fresh your skin looks after this Lux Soap beauty care. Then you'll know why nine out of ten lovely screen stars use this luxurious white soap regularly. Get some Lux Toilet Soap tomorrow. Buy it the economical three-cakes-at-a-time way. We pause now for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Act two of Here Comes Mr. Jordan, starring Cary Grant as Joe, Claude Rains as Mr. Jordan, Evelyn Keyes as Betty, and James Gleason as Max. The spirit of Joe Pendleton is encased in the body of Bruce Farnsworth, and Joe is finding the situation very annoying. He's discovered that Bruce Farnsworth is, or was, a first-class crook and all-around cad. Only the presence of his beloved saxophone makes Joe's existence bearable. Mr. Farnsworth, you sent for me? Yeah. What are you looking at, Abbott? Well, I didn't know you played a saxophone. No? Well, a lot of people don't know it. You'll get used to it after a while. Now, let's get on to business. I'm thinking over this Logan affair, and it don't sound so good. I want to get Mr. Logan out of jail. With fraud pinned on him like this? Well, who pinned it on him? Well, naturally, we did. That's what I thought, so let's unpin it. Mr. Farnsworth, you realize you'll have to buy back every share of that worthless stock? It's impossible. Hmm? Now, who's got it? Naturally, small investors all over the country. Oh, small investors, eh? <laughs> it's nice work. I'll give them back every cent they paid for it. That will take millions of dollars. Have I got it? Of course, but... You... All right, let's do it. Don't you feel you ought to think this over first? I have thought it over. And get this. You and I are going to tangle plenty from now on if you don't watch your step. So don't try any funny business. And stay out of my bathroom. Paper, paper, funds with police smoking in securities fraud. Paper, Logan released from jail. Paid back to investors. Paper, Mr. Jordan! Here I am, Joe. Oh, oh, hello, Mr. Jordan. You're just the man I needed. I told you I'd come if you needed me. How are you, Mr. Pendleton? Oh, you too, huh? What do you want? I didn't ask for you. Oh, really, Mr. Pendleton? It's all right, Joe. He came with me. What's the trouble? Well, look at this in the paper. That's what's the trouble. You mean about giving the money back to oh, the no, investors? Oh, no, 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 not that. On the sporting page. Listen, Murdoch and the fight champ. Mr. Jordan, they can't do this to me. They're trying to dish me out of the title. This is what comes of fooling around with this temporary Farnsworth business. Now, look at the spot I'm in. You're in no spot whatsoever, Mr. Pendleton. Why don't you keep out of this? I knew perfectly well that you were to have another body. Yeah, well, what have you done about it? Just scoured the world for it, that's all. And I may say, I found it. <laughs> what have you found? A superb specimen. A strapping fellow in Australia who'll soon be available. A motor accident. 
Uh, what's his weight? 192 pounds. Oh, that's good. What's his reach? Uh, 78 inches. Not bad. Waist, chest, and forearm. Oh, great heavens, what difference does that make? He's got a waist and a chest and a forearm. What more do you want? Well, I want to know. That's what I want. Why you're fumbling around the championships getting away from but me. But it won't get very far. We have found out that you are actually intended to be the next world's champion. What? Is that a fact? Yes, Joe. Well, how do you know? Nothing can prevent it. I knew it. I told you. Well, come on. What are we waiting for? Let's take a look at this Australian fella. Mr. sir. Uh, oh, it's a butler. Hey, duck, you guys. Beat it. We don't have to duck, Joe. They can't see us. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> Why can't I remember that? Mr. Farnsworth. Yeah, what? Miss Logan is here, sir. Oh, Miss Logan? Well, bring her in. Uh, never mind. I'll get her myself. Yes, sir. Oh, is this delay necessary, Mr. Jordan? Yes, and very interesting. Hello, Miss Logan. Come right in here. Sit down. Um, can I get you something? Uh, um, coffee or something? No, I just wanted to tell you my father's home. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Fine. Sit down. It was a wonderful thing you did. Not only for my father, I mean to give that money back to all those people. Oh, well, as a matter of fact, that's about the only thing to do, wasn't it? I don't know. I... I'm sorry I keep on staring at you like this. Oh, that's okay. I'm doing a little staring myself. I'm all mixed up. When I came to see you that night, when I was trying to hate you most, I couldn't deny there was something warm and friendly, even gentle in the way you smiled. Oh, there was, huh? <laughs> Gee, well, well, that, 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 that's wonderful. How long does this drivel go on? A little patience. You know what I told my father this was? A miracle. A miracle? Why? Well, that a man like Bruce Farnsworth could have a real feeling for the happiness of others. Well, now, that's as good a way to go through life as any other, isn't it? That, yes, that's all I meant. Except when you find that in somebody, it's a great discovery. <laughs> I guess that's why I keep staring. I, I can't help it. It's something in your eyes and, and what's behind them that that I keep trying to see. That sounds silly, doesn't it? No. No, I know what you mean. When you make a discovery like that, it's pretty important, isn't it? I mean, it's more important than what two people look like, or who they are, or anything else. Of course. Yeah. And even if he was... Well, it wouldn't make any difference what he was. The other thing is all that matters. That's how it ought to be. I'll have to go now. Goodbye. Uh... Will I see you again? Yes, of course. Goodbye. <sighs> Goodbye. Gee. <laughs> well, thank goodness she's gone. Oh, Mr. Jordan, did you hear what she said? She was looking at me. Joe, she likes me. Me. Oh, really, sir? We have to get moving. Yes. Ready, Joe? Huh? Oh, what do you mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That Australian guy. If you recall, yes. Well, oh, wait a minute. I can't do that now. Why not? Well, don't you see, Mr. Jordan, she likes me the way I am. Now, if I go running off to Australia and pull a switch just when I get her used to this Farnsworth, I might lose her. Yes, Joe. Yeah. Well, now, look, Mr. Jordan. <clears throat> this Farnsworth was about my age. He had a pretty good body once. You said he played polo. Well, why couldn't I build him up physically like I did me? Why not? Yeah. Exercise, playing food, plenty of fresh air. I'm sure you'd do wonders with it. Certainly, him. but what I know about fighting, of course I could. I could get that body in the pink in no time at all and lick Murdoch with it. Then I've got the title and I've got her, too. Mr. Pendleton, is this final? You bet it's final. I'm getting Max Corgill in here tomorrow to help me train. But I'm going to stay like I am, as Farnsworth.
Farnsworth. Don't bother me while I'm punching the bag. I told you that before. But Mr. Farnsworth, Mr. Corkle is here. Oh, Corkle, Max Corkle? Yes, sir. Oh, well, where is he? Hey, Corkle, come on in. Excuse me, but, uh... Hello, Corkle. Right in here. Uh, right here. Uh, thanks. I got a telegram Yeah, wait a minute, you. wait a minute. Hey, you. Sit. Outside. Very good, sir. <laughs> Max. You old son of a gun. I'm glad to see you. Do you know me? I certainly I know you, you dumb ox. Take a good look, Max. Do you know me? Sure, everybody knows you, Mr. Farnsworth. Oh, what's the matter with your eyes, you big sap? I'm not Farnsworth. I'm Joe Pendleton. You're Joe. You're nuts, Mr. Farnsworth. Let <laughs> me out of here! Oh, wait a minute, Max. Wait. Wait. Now look, Max. I know I don't look like Joe, but I'm him just the same, and it's your fault. My fault? Yeah. Yeah, if you hadn't been in such a hurry to cremate me, I wouldn't be in the jam I'm in now. I... I... I cremated you? Uh, didn't you? Take, take it easy, will you, Mr. Farnsworth? It's been kind of hot today, ain't it? I better go now. Oh, no. No, no, you don't, Max. Now, listen. You remember the time I went up in the plane? Well, something went fluey, and one of those guys that goes around collecting people, he pulled a boner. He grabbed me off before me time, and while I'm arguing with him, whether I'm dead or not, you cremate me. <laughs> then they got to make good. they got to get me another body. You get it? Sure, sure. Uh, then evidence fine, ain't it? And all you need now is a doctor. The best one. Maybe a specialist. No, no, no. Now, listen to me. I'm a very busy man, Mr. Farnsworth. The body they give me belongs to this other guy. They drowned him in the bathtub, pushed him underneath the water. Hey! Hey, quiet! <laughs> keep quiet, Max. Having trouble, Joe? Yeah. Oh, Mr. Jordan? Gee, I certainly am glad you showed up. Max, this is Mr. Jordan. Is there somebody here with us? Yeah, yeah, Mr. Jordan. Oh, uh-huh, pleased to meet you, Mr. Jordan. Where is he? Oh, well, I forgot. You can't see him and you can't hear him. Oh, well, maybe if I had a good stiff drink... I'd... Well, you can't see him because you're not dead yet. Oh. Oh, well, uh, Well, I guess you two fellas have got... A lot of business to talk over, so I'll be mooching the law. Oh, now come here, Max. Come here and sit down. Oh, uh, Mr. Jordan, I've got to get this through to him. Make him understand, will you? You can do it yourself, Joe. Try. Oh, I can, huh? Oh, well. All right, now listen, Max. Now, how would I know about Joe if I wasn't Joe? And listen to this. You got 40% of me. Yeah? Since when did you give me that? Well, since that time in Astoria when you saw me put away Butcher Boy McKenzie. Don't you remember you said I had color? You said I was what they wanted? Look, look, how's your sister Rosie and her three kids? And have the twins gotten over the measles yet? Hey, who are you anyways? I'm Joe, you're Joe. This is Farnsworth's body because you burned mine, you big stiff. Hey, wait a minute, wait. Sit there. Hey, now look, I'll prove it to you. Now, you remember this? My saxophone? Hey, that's Joe's. I give it to him. Where'd you get it? It's my sax, I tell you. Wait, I'll play your favorite tune for you. Now, listen. You always hit that note, son. You. Joe. It's, it's you. It's Joe. Uh, oh, now, Max, Max, don't faint. Don't talk about... No, come on, Max. <laughs> no, no, Max, no. Come on. Sit <laughs> down here. Joe, Joe, Joe. I can't no, Max, Max, snap out of it. Come I on, know. come on. <laughs> Take a deep breath, Max. Come on, come on, fella. Yeah, breathe, Max. Breathe. There we are. That's the boy. 
There. Ah. Now you feel better, Max? Oh. Huh? Yeah. You sure to send a hangover from last night? You really are, Joe? Listen, Max. Inside, I'm Joe. Outside, I'm Farnsworth. Yeah. Hey. Hey. Is your pal still around? Yeah, he's right there. He is, huh? Maybe I'm somebody else, too. Ask him. No, don't. If I'm somebody else's body, I don't want to know about it. Max, I want to tell you why I sent for you. They're talking about matching K.O. Murdoch with Gilbert. Yeah? Well, who did Murdoch have to fight before he got a crack at Gilbert's title? Joe, I mean you. All right. I want you to fix it for me to fight Murdoch. You're crazy. K.O. never fight Farnsworth. Tell him what the registrar discovered, Joe. Yeah, that's right. Is he talking again? Yeah. <laughs> Max, I'm going to let you in on something. I'm the next champ. It's in the book. Nothing can change it. Is that what he said? That's what he said, and he knows. Will he insure any bets? <laughs> Max, I'm telling you what you got to do. Yeah, but Fawn's with the banking. Look, you go and see Lefty K.O.'s manager. Offer him some money, any amount. Well, like what? Oh, what'll it take? I don't know, 25 grand at least. Okay, I'll send you a check this afternoon. But go down there and sew up that Murdoch fight. Okay. Hey, Joe, is your friend still here? Sure. Oh. Well, I'm pleased to have met you, Mr. Jordan. Uh, could I drop you some ways? Uh, no, no, come to think of it, I ain't going your way, am I? Well, so <laughs> you didn't have to go yet. I'd like to just sit and talk a while. I'm afraid I can't. I told my father I'd be home. It, it's getting very late. Yeah, I guess so. Well, I'll have Ab Abbott take care of those papers in the morning, so don't you worry about it. Well, thank you. Well, the car's waiting outside. Yeah? You know, I could stand here and look at you all night. I mean, well, I never saw you done up like this before. You look wonderful. <laughs> Say, look at me. Did you see anything? Any, any difference? Now, let's see. Healthier, maybe? You look very well. Sort of in the pink? <laughs> yes, almost pink. Yeah, there you are. I've been exercising. Really? Yeah, and I mean exercising. Sparring around, punching the bag, plenty of road work, lots of sleep. You might even call it training. Why on earth should you be training? Oh, that's the point. Look, uh, did you ever box? Oh. Oh, no. oh, no, of course you didn't. Well, I used to. I liked it a lot, too. I thought I'd like to get back in shape again. What for? Well, like I, uh... Well, I thought I might like to do some fighting. Some real fighting, right in the ring. Oh, you're joking. Well, I'm not bad, you know. Bruce, you must stop this exercising. It's going to your head. Yeah, but listen, I... Oh, good night, Bruce. No, no, I'm serious about this. You see, I... I... Oh. oh. Can I see you, Mr. Pendleton? It's very important. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. What's the matter, Bruce? What are you staring at? Huh? Oh, uh... Well, excuse me a minute, will you? I'll be right back. Now, what do you want? I thought I saw the last of you. Oh, I've got some very distressing news, Mr. Pendleton. You can't use Farnsworth's body anymore. What do you mean? Just what I say. You're crazy. Mr. Jordan told me I was going to be champ. But not with Farnsworth's body. Why not? It wasn't meant to be that way. Why not? Don't keep saying why not. Mr. Pendleton, you haven't much more time to stay in Farnsworth. Oh, go on. I'm not even listening. Mr. Jordan said it was okay, and this is the way it's going to be. I'm afraid not, Mr. Pendleton. Now, you wait. Come back here. Listen. I... Bruce. Oh, Bruce, yeah. I really must leave. Well, I'm sorry to have kept you waiting. I'll take you to your car. Come on, Betty. Bruce, has something happened? No, no. Bruce, what's troubling you? Oh, nothing. I... I... Look, you just got to believe one thing. We got a great life ahead, you and me. 
Nobody can take that away from us. Why are you looking at me like that? Well, I... I'm trying to memorize your face. I'm trying to memorize everything about you. So that no matter what happens, I won't forget you. What might happen? Now, don't be scared. Just look at me. You wouldn't forget me either, would you? No, never. Oh, of course you wouldn't. But, but if something did happen, I mean the thing you said you saw in me, something in my eyes. Well, if someday somebody came up to you, he might even be a fighter and acted like he'd seen you someplace before, you'd notice the same thing in him. Even if you thought you did, you'd give him a break because he might be a good guy. I don't understand you. Oh, well, I'm just crazy. Don't mind me. I... Well, I never want to lose you, that's all. And I'm never going to. Betty, can I kiss you? Oh, yes, Bruce. Hello, Joe. Yeah, I thought you'd be here, Mr. Jordan. Look, it isn't true, is it, about giving up Sparnsworth? You're not going to ask me to do that now, are you? It's not up to me, my boy. Yeah, but why? We got everything going great. You told me I was going to be champ. You will be, but on another road. Yeah, but why not his Farnsworth? I got his body in the pink. Why not his Farnsworth? Because it wasn't meant to be that way. Oh, that's no answer. On the contrary, it's the perfect answer. Yeah, but look, Mr. Jordan. There's Betty. I love her. And she loves me as Farnsworth. You can't ask me to give her up and forget her now. No, if that was meant to be, it will be. Now, don't talk like that. I can't switch now. Listen, Mr. Jordan. Just let me get through this fight and work it out somehow with Betty. Give me a little time. There's only a little time left, Joe. All right. Then I say no. You're not going to play tricks with my life again. I'm going to stay like I am. You can't change the course yeah. of your destiny. Well, we'll see about that. If you think you can get me loose from Farnsworth, you go ahead and try it. I can't stop it, Joe. Farnsworth is going to die. What? You're crazy. He's going to be killed, Joe. Oh, uh, what are you talking about? He's going to be killed by Abbott. There's no mistake this time. Oh. Mr. Jordan. Mr. Jordan. Don't fight, Joe. Leave Farnsworth. Oh. This is it, huh? And, and Farnsworth. What's going to happen to him now? Just earthly remains for them to dispose of. Yeah. Yeah, but me, Mr. Jordan. Me. Joe Pendleton. Why, you and I will be moving again, Joe, and searching. Ah, oh, Mr. Jordan. Why couldn't you give me just a little time? Don't you see? I'll lose her now. Betty. Betty. Don't fight, Joe. Leave Farnsworth. Joe. Leave Farnsworth. After a brief intermission, Mr. DeMille presents Perry Grant, Claude Rains, Evelyn Keyes, and James Gleason in Act Three of Here Comes Mr. Jordan. Over at the Martins the other evening, young Nancy had just come home from her Red Cross class. Nancy, Bill just called. He said he'd come for you about nine for that dance at the club. At nine, Mother? Oh, goodness. Well, I'll hurry. But I'm going to take time for my bath before I dress just the same. Of course, dear. I'll draw some warm water. And there's a nice fresh cake of Lux soap in the bathroom. Oh, Mommy, you're wonderful. 
Mmm, this feels good. Golly, don't know what I'd do without my Luxo beauty bath. I'm feeling better by the moment. There, now I'm sure of being perfectly fresh. Gosh, I love the nice perfume Lux Toilet Soap leaves on my skin. Now to get dressed in a hurry. Hello, Bill. Why, thanks a million. I feel good, too. Gee, Nancy, I love to be near you. Your skin is so sweet. Looks as if Nancy's evening was going to be a great success. Well, she's one of those clever girls who follows the screen star's tip. Never neglects her daily beauty bath with fragrant white Lux toilet soap. Here's what Claudette Colbert says. It makes a girl so attractive to have skin that's sweet. A daily Lux soap beauty bath makes daintiness sure. Why don't you take Hollywood's tip? Enjoy the luxury of a daily Lux toilet soap beauty bath. A luxury any woman can afford. For this fine soap with active lather costs so little. Buy three cakes of Lux toilet soap tomorrow. Now, our producer, Mr. DeMille. The curtain rises on the third act of Here Comes Mr. Jordan. Joe Pendleton's spirit is roaming the world again, this time without a body. For Farnsworth has been killed and his remains hidden. It's the night of the Murdoch fight. Joe and Mr. Jordan walk slowly along the street in front of the arena. Quite a crowd in there, Joe. Would you like to see part of the fight? Ah, no. What for? That ought to be me fighting in there, not Murdoch. Just as you like. We can hear it on the radio at the cigar store down there. Read all about it. Farnsworth disappearing still unsolved. Police question printed. Hey, you hear that, Mr. Jordan? They haven't found Farnsworth yet. Where is he now? In the basement refrigerator. Tony Abbott and Julia got rid of him. Oh, refrigerator. Hmm, nice guy, that Abbott. Yeah, it's the fight, Joe. Want to listen to it? Hmm? Oh, okay, sure. Murdoch throws a right to Gilbert's body and a left to the head and another right to the body. Murdoch is crowding Gilbert into the ropes. Oh, there's a left to the chin, another right, another left, and now they go into a clinch. That Murdoch's a great fighter, Joe, and you know it. In your heart, you'd even like to be like him. Oh, me? Now they're out of it. Another right to the head. Gilbert's wings wild and Murdoch... Murdoch staggered. All of a sudden, Murdoch's quit. I don't get it. Gilbert didn't even touch him. That wild punch only grazed the side of Murdoch's head and he's staggering. Oh, I don't believe it. Murdoch was going like a buzzsaw. Why should he quit? He was shot, Joe. What shot? By gamblers from the ringside because he wouldn't throw the fight. But they shot him? Murdoch? One of the cleanest guys in the game? Gilbert's swollen all over Murdoch now. Cutting him to ribbons. He's down. Murdoch's down. He finally dropped. Fell in a heap. He's dead, Joe. Dead? He's down, flat on his face. The referee is trying to get Gilbert to a neutral oh, corner. Boy, I wish I could finish that fight for him. You can, Joe. What, you mean I could take Murdoch's place? We've just got time to make it. Come on, Joe. Seven. Eight. Nine. He's up at the corner nine. Murdoch is up. Oh, what a fight. One minute lying there like a dead man, and now on his feet like a dynamo. It's amazing. Now he lets go with a terrific right, and a left, and another right. Now Gilbert's down. The referee's counting. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Gilbert's out, and Murdoch is a new champion. Ladies and gentlemen, this fight will go down in history as one of the most sensational encounters of all time. It's... Hey, wait a minute. What's that thing Murdoch's taking off the ring post in his corner? A saxophone. I didn't notice that there before. A saxophone. Oh, 
Everybody outside, outside. Now the champ's got to rest. Let me see him. I got to see Murdoch. What do you want here, Cockle? Beat it. No, you don't. Let Cockle in here, Lefty. What's Cockle got to do with you? Plenty. And you get out of here, Lefty. You and the rest of them. Now get out. How do you get that way? I'm your manager. Yeah, and a fine crooked manager you turned out to be. Now get out of here before I throw you. I'll beat you it. You must be nuts. Hello, Max. Listen, there's just one thing I want to know, Murdoch. I was listening to this fight, and the guy said you had a saxophone. Where is it? Mm, right here. That's it. Where'd you get it? That's Joe Pendleton's sax. He always had it in the ring with him. Max, don't you know me? <laughs> oh, are you, are you, are you? Sure, Joe Pendleton. Oh, George, George. Oh, no, Max, don't faint, don't faint. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm all right. What are you doing in Murdoch's body? Oh, I just took Murdoch's body to help him out. He was shot. Look, a hole in his chest. Oh, Joe, what kind of body is this to pick up? I better get a doctor. No, no, it's nothing. Nothing you see with no. a bullet in you? Hey, Joe, what about Farnsworth? Where is he? Oh, he's dead, Max. Tony Abbott shot him. Tell the cops to look in the basement icebox. Oh, boy, they'll hang that Abbott high in a kite. Hello, Joe. Oh, hello, Mr. Jordan. Hey, Joe, is he here again? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Max. Thought, would you mind waiting outside a minute? Go sure. call the cops, Max. And then get in touch with Betty Logan. Sure, sure, I want to sure. see her. Well, I'm pleased to have met you again, Mr. Jordan. Ah, uh, Mr. Jordan, I'm glad you came here. How did you like the fight? That was a nice job, Joe. You made Murdoch very happy. He was told how it came out. He was? Oh, that's swell. You fought beautifully, Joe. Cleanly, scientifically. This is your niche, Joe. This is where you belong. Where you were meant to be. World champion. Ah, uh, no. Not me. Murdoch is. I don't mind helping him out, Mr. Jordan, but now get me out of this. Joe. Yeah? Remember I said you wouldn't be cheated? Yeah. Nobody is, really. You were meant to be champion. You are. This is your destiny, Joe. You're going to go on being Murdoch. What? Yeah, but... But wait a minute. You're forgetting about Betty. What good is anything if I haven't got her? That's a chance you have to face, Joe, but don't worry. You'll have everything that was ordained for you. Oh, I don't like it, Mr. Jordan. This I... is your road, Joe. From now on, you're K.O. Murdoch. There'll be no more memory of Joseph Pendleton. And everything's going to be all right. Goodbye, Joe. Wait, listen. Goodbye, uh, Joe. Hey, Joe, I called the cops. Huh? What do you want in here, Cargo? Listen, will you? They found Farnsworth Bonnie, just like you said. I don't get it. I don't know any Farnsworth. Ah, oh, now, don't give me no answers like that, Joe. Well, have you got a fever, Joe? Oh, sure, you got a fever from being shot. Who was shot? You was. Look at your chest, you got a hole in... Hey, where is it? Where's what? The bullet hole. <laughs> you showed it to me. You going crazy? Get out of here. I'm going around again. It's that guy, Jordan. What did he do to you, Joe? Why do you keep calling me Joe? Oh, look at me. Take a good look at me. Don't you know me? Yeah, I think so. Well, who am I? Well, don't you know? Well, I got me doubts. You tell me. You're Corkle, Max Corkle. Who are you? K.O. Murdoch. What's the matter with you? Do you... Do you know Joe Pendleton? Yeah, sure. I knew Joe. He's killed in an airplane crash. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's a tough break. Nice fella. Strictly on the level, too. Yeah, he certainly was. Yeah. I understand you are, too. Hey, 
How'd you like to manage me, Corkle? Manage you? Sure. Oh, yeah. Swell. Well, I gotta be running along. Yeah, sure. Hey, what's the matter with you? Come on, snap out of it. We're gonna do all right, Max. Yeah, sure. Any guys outside? No, they've all went. Good. Well, so long, Maxie. So long. So long, Joe. Oh. oh. Sorry, miss. Uh, uh, you looking for somebody? Uh, yes, Mr. Corkle. They, they said he might be in Mr. Murdoch's dressing room. Say. Don't I know you? I... I don't think so. Uh, no, no. No, I guess not. I thought for a minute I did. Funny how sometimes you feel you know people. Yes. Oh, your eyes hurt. Oh, it's nothing. Just a little swollen. It's all red. Oh, it doesn't hurt. I'm Murdoch. Oh. Ralph Murdoch, and you're... Uh... Uh, Betty Logan. Hello. How do you do? Yeah, glad to know you. Uh, you interested in the fight game? I knew a man who was. Do I know him? Bruce Farnsworth, he... He was killed. Huh? Oh, I'm sorry. Was he a friend of yours? I loved him. Oh, oh, that's tough. Yes, but I don't know. Maybe it was the kindest thing. He, he was so troubled. I, I don't seem to feel. Wait. What did you do that for? You touched my face. Your bandage was loose. I, I didn't mean to. Well, it felt kind of good. You know. You were looking at me just now, kind of looking right through my eyes. What's that? Oh, don't be scared. I just turned the lights out for a second. Just a warning. Everybody out. Oh. You know, in the darkness, your voice sounded like I'd heard it someplace before. I couldn't remember where. You didn't feel that, did you? Well, yes. I, I felt I was standing high up, looking out over the sea. And someone was swimming toward me, shouting something. Something I... I felt I'd heard long ago. Yeah. I said, don't be scared. Oh, did you? Yeah. People are always thinking they knew someone before, in another existence. You know, I've had a feeling all night I was in a hurry to meet somebody I knew. Hey, uh... There's a little place around the corner. It's a swell little place called Mike's where I go after the fight. You wouldn't want to... No, I... I guess you wouldn't want to tonight. Feeling the way you do about him. I guess not, huh? What was it he said? If I were to meet a fighter, I was to... I'd love to go with you, Mr. Murdoch. Okay. Swell. So long. Champ. We're going to go straight into the Screen Director's Playhouse adaptation of A Matter of Life and Death, or as some of you will know it, Stairway to Heaven. This doesn't include any original cast members, unfortunately. There is a version featuring David Niven, but it's very abridged, and the sound quality isn't great. It doesn't matter a jot, anyway, because Robert Cummings and Julia Adams do an exceptional job. 
So I'll see you on the other side. Now the first act of the Screen Directors Playhouse presentation of Stairway to Heaven, starring Robert Cummings as Peter and Julia Adams as June. This is a story of heaven and earth. In between is the universe. And that's where you are now. Listen to it. Timeless, endless. Galaxies, suns, stars. Millions of them. There, a violent burst of light as something explodes. Probably a world blown to bits. And here, another planet torn by its own fevers. The planet Earth exploding in the year 1945. Nineteen forty-five, a thousand bomber raid by the RAF. Night and a burning city. That was an hour ago. Circus 7 to Jolly Roger. Circus 7 calling Jolly Roger. Do you read? Do you receive? Now the smoke swirls. No longer smoke, but an English fog. And a flaming Lancaster bomber hurtles through the English night. Hello, G. George. Tower calling G. George. Where are you? What is your position? Hello, this is G. George. Position halfway between heaven and earth. Repeat heaven, repeat earth. I'd like to repeat earth. Do it all over again. I say, what is your name? June. Oh, please, what is your heading? I don't know yet. Uh, what do you think the next world's like? Oh, incidentally, my name's Peter Carter. Can you land, Peter? Can you land? I think heaven starts where this leaves off, don't you? Uh, no, June, I can't land. Ten tenths fog, instruments gone, landing gear gone, interport on fire, interstarboard conked out, crew bailed out, all but my wireless operator, he's dead. Got that? Hello, hello. Yes, Peter, are you bailing out? Yes, June, I'm bailing out, all right. But there's a bit of a catch. I've got no parachute. Peter, perhaps we can do something. What is your position? Can't do anything, my dearest. Parachute cut to ribbons. Might as well jump as fly. Oh, look, I uh, hope I haven't frightened you. I'm not frightened. Good. Uh, talk to me for a while. You're an American, aren't you? Uh, where were you born? Boston. Oh, Boston. Never been to Boston. You sound like a nice girl. Are you uh, good looking? Not bad. For a whack. June, are you in love with anybody? Why, well, I, I could be. I am. I love you. Your life, and I'm leaving you. That can't be helped about the parachute. Oh, Peter, your position. Just a little closer to heaven than before. Goodbye, June. Getting warm up here. I'm going to jump. Oh, incidentally, they say the first thousand feet are the hardest. Goodbye, my darling. Oh, Peter, th there must be some... After the mixed pleasures of Earth, I imagine you're quite ready to return to the universe. Peaceful, isn't it? Taking away quite merrily. Incidentally, you're not traveling alone. There are others with you. Airmen, all of them. 
Chaps who this night pass in the twinkling of an eye from Earth to... Well, it certainly sounds like heaven. Air crew section, report here. Air crew section, report here, please. Yeah, we got caught in their searchlights at a thousand feet. I thought we were dead. But we are, old boy. So this is heaven, huh? I bet they got another one upstairs for commissioned officers. <laughs> gentlemen, gentlemen, you're the new arrivals to the air crew section. Please check in at desk number eight. Uh, excuse me, section officer, but if this is heaven, where are our wings? Wings parade follows an appropriate training period. Hey, if this is heaven, where's the Coke machine? After you check in, Sergeant. Now, if you'll all just move to your left. Oh, uh, what I say? Yes, flying officer? Name's Bob Trubshaw. Wireless up on G for George. I've just added. Can I help you? Right. Where's Peter? Peter? The skipper. Squadron leader Peter Carter. He just added too. If he's due, flying officer Trubshaw, he's here. Ruddy well due right now. Jump without a shoot. Can't be more ruddy due than that, can he? Hmm. Well, uh, let me see. Squadron leader Carter. Peter. Oh, yes, he's on the list. He's here, all right. Sorry. Pardon? Not here. Impossible. Quite, but still not here. Flying officer Trubshaw, if the records don't balance, the alarm bells ring, and I assure you they're not ringing. Now, if you'll excuse me, the conductor is checking in. Conductor 71 reporting, madam. Very well. Uh-uh. Not very well. All present and accounted for. All except one. Well, how did you know? What? Oh, I knew it. This frilled-up Frenchman has ready well gone and lost me skipper. And who would not in your cursed English fog, eh? And whom did you lose? The squadron leader, Peter Carter. Oh. Ever since my, uh, <clears throat> my neck operation during the so-called glorious French Revolution, I have not taken well to fog. And there was fog over the coast. <gasps> but it is such fog. It was impossible. Well, I can't believe it. Well, you can ruddy well believe it now. There go the alarm bells. around it. Oh, and seagulls, too. Oh, my headaches. Now, you wouldn't think they'd let a chap lie in the sand getting all damp like this. Very rude. Hello. Hello there. Now, let me see. Legs. Hips. And red lips. And an American uniform. Well, that does it. It certainly can't be heaven. No, on second thought, it could be. What did you say? You know, I, I say I'm alive. Are you all right? I, I saw you lying on the beach, half in the water, and I... You, you, you're... You're June. What? You're Peter. Hello. How, how did you... Oh, no, 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 don't, don't start crying. I, I shouldn't, should I? No, no, laugh rather, like in Boston. We don't laugh in Boston, we smile. Oh. Oh, Peter, what happened? How did you get here? 
Well, I, I don't really know. Uh, You're not hurt? Well, my head feels a bit weird. I say, uh, I didn't have a parachute, did I? Well, last night you, you said that No, you... no, no, darling. Please don't cry. Peter. Darling. I'm alive, Joe. It's a great and wonderful thing to be alive. Heaven. Hm. A fine ruddy station this is. Can't keep the ruddy personnel straight. Flying officer Troopshaw, a complete ruddy report is being prepared. Peter kicked the bucket 36 hours ago, and he's still messing around down there. It's <laughs> ruddy and decent. Oh, dear. Not in England. Now, if he were messing around in France... Ooh, la, la. <laughs> oh, dear. Dear, why must I use that hard American signal system? I must report to the section officer. You will excuse me. Silly nonsense. We're just as ooh la la as you are. <laughs> Conductor 71, we have our information of squadron leader Peter Carter. I trust no irreparable damage has been done. I trust you've made a fine muddle of it. Peter Carter has gone ahead and fallen in love. Ah. It complicates things. Oui, madame. And you're going to jolly well uncomplicate it. Oui, madame. You'll proceed to Earth immediately. Oui, madame. You'll explain your grave error to squadron leader Carter and bring him back. Oui, madame. Is he uh, reasonable? He's an Englishman. Unreasonable. <laughs> You'll find him with the young lady in a meadow outside her air station. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Two people in love. Please remember, Conductor 71, you're no longer a Frenchman. Perhaps no longer a man, madame, but French for eternity, bonjour. Heavenly, isn't it, Peter? You certainly are. <laughs> oh, I mean the birds and the sun. And... <sighs> I'm sleepy. Can't even open my eyes. Here. Use my jacket for a pillow. I'll unfold. Oh, you know, I, I wish I had a power. I wish I could make time stand still. Uh-huh. I have the power, Peter. What? Well, who are you? I not only have it, I exercise it. Time is standing still. Uh, June, June, darling, wake up. No, 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 no. She cannot. We are talking in space, not time. After all, what is time? A mere tyranny. As uh, Benjamin Franklin is always saying... Uh, Be Benjamin Franklin? See here, what do you want? You? Hey, come along, I'll take you to your wily separator. Bob? Why, well, he's dead. Oh, yes, quite, quite dead. And doing very well. And now you are 36 hours overdue at the reception center. If Bob is dead, then I... Oh, no. No, no. My dear friend, oh, yes. Oh, this is... <laughs> this is simply fantastic. Uh, June, June. <laughs> she can't hear you. And really, is it any more fantastic than a man who jumps from a plane at 7,040 feet without a parachute and then uh, makes love to an American? Huh? Eh, she's quite exquisite. Yes, I, I love her. Oh, yes, it's quite a scandal up there. Come along, I'll tell you about it. No. No? No. Oh, you can't say no. And who says I can't? The whole Ruddy universe. Now, let me tell... Ruddy? Oui. 
Well, you, you've seen Bob all right. Look, um... <laughs> tell you what, j- just pip off and give him my love, will you? Oh, Peter. Peter, because I lost you in the fog, you have overstayed your time by 36 hours. The advantage is exclusively yours. You lost nothing. You only gained... Be reasonable, huh? Me? Be reasonable. Now, there I was, ready to die, waiting for you to say the word. And then you went and bunged things up. And now I've fallen in love because of your mistake. And, and you want me to be reasonable. Oh, you are going to be difficult. I am. And if you don't dash quick, leave me alone, I'm going to dash well kick you back into paradise. No, no, no. Please, please. No violence. Nothing can be done. You are 36 hours overdue. Nothing can be done. What kind of government do you represent, anyway? I am not permitted to discuss politics. Well, if it's a respectable place... My dear Peter, if heaven is nothing else, it is respectable. Then there must be a law of appeal. Are you coming with me or are you not? No, I'm not coming. Well, in that case... Well? uh, I shall report the application for an appeal. Well, that's the ticket. And until I return, I warn you, Peter, do not fall any deeper in love. It would be very easy, but... Possibly very sad. Oh, whoa, my name. No, thank you, darling. What? No, thank you. I, I don't need your coat for a pillow. You just asked me. June, open your eyes. Didn't you hear us talking? Who? Well, that Frenchman and I, we, we were... Oh, June, an odd thing happened while you were asleep. I wasn't asleep, dear. They, they sent some... Oh. What oh. is it, Peter? Your head again? Yes, I, I think it's getting worse. Why, Peter? What happened? Well, they... They sent somebody from the, the place where I would have gone... Well, the place where I should have gone when I jumped from the plane. Peter. Peter. June. Why aren't I dead? How did I live? I don't know, darling. I, I just know you were saved. I'm going to appeal, June. I've got a chance. Oh, oh my head. June. June, I, I can't see you. I'm here, my darling. Oh, yes. Of course I'm here. Oh, June, for a second, it, it was like the fog again. Everything was gone. No, Peter. June, I thought I'd lost you. The next time you suffer from pains of a headache, neuritis, or neuralgia, take Anison. You'll bless the day you heard of this incredibly fast way to relieve these pains. Now, the reason Anison is so wonderfully fast-acting and effective is this. Anison is like a doctor's prescription. That is, Anison contains not just one, but a combination of medically proven active ingredients in easy-to-take tablet form. Thousands of people have received envelopes containing anison tablets from their own dentist or physician. And in this way, discovered the incredibly fast relief anison brings from pains of headache, neuritis, or neuralgia. So the next time a headache strikes, take anison for this wonderfully fast relief. Anison. A-N-A-C-I-N. Anison comes in handy boxes of 12 and 30. Economical family-sized bottles of 50 and 100. Get Anison at any drug counter.
the second act of the Screen Director's Playhouse presentation of Stairway to Heaven, starring Robert Cummings and Julia Adams. Ladies and gentlemen, the only thing standing between you and eternity has been one commercial announcement. Having dispensed with this, you are now in heaven. Flying Officer Trubshaw, I am very sad to say that your friend Peter refuses to come to heaven. Oh, well, can't very well blame him, you know. After those two girls in London, he expected the other place. (laughs) (laughs) Did we not all? You know, I'm getting ruddy tired of sitting on this heavenly staircase. But we must wait. I have submitted the question of Peter's appeal. Can't we go somewhere else for a change? No, no, but the stairway can. Oh, well, rev up and let's take off. Very well. Blimey, a ruddy escalator. And down we go. There, do you see it? What? Earth, to the left of Venus and the right of Mars. Between Venus and Mars? Love and war. Always between love and war. And Peter's in love. He says so. If the skipper says so, he is. When does he get word on his appeal? Well, I don't know. The selection board is considering. We've stopped. Regulations. Unofficial personnel not allowed below this level. Too bad. Hope that ever squinted Peter and this girl of his. Oh, and what a shame. He's so close at this moment. Looks a ruddy way off to me. My dear flying officer, he is kissing his June. And after all, uh, I'm much closer to heaven can a man be. people who run the universe. I've been cheated of the past. And we've been given a future. Uh, That remains to be seen. Oh, Peter, the motorcycle. It must be Frank. Frank? Dr. Reed, the neurologist I told you about. You wait here and make yourself beautiful for us. No, you can take me as I am. What ho, my lovely? I came like the wind. Yes, and someday you're going to kill yourself with that motorcycle. Well, all the better. You love another man. Oh, Frank, I do indeed. Good. That'll be the making of you. Where is he? Inside, waiting for you. Did you make the arrangements? Yes, all cleared with his CO and squadron medical officer. He'll be in my hands. I'm thankful for that. Our base MO says what you don't know about neurology would fill... Several uh... thousand volumes. I'm a good guesser, that's all. Perhaps that's all he needs. Perhaps, from what you've told me. Now, let's meet the patient. Ah, the doctor comes swept in mystery. Hmm? Peter, darling, this is Frank. Oh, hello, Frank. Hello, Peter, darling. <laughs> You're a lucky man. 
Really, Lucky? Yes, you've got June. Oh, yes. And I also have a headache and some pretty unexplainable experiences. Well, we'll see about those. You mind answering some questions? He's a whiz. Okay, fire away. Um, age, about 29? No, 27. You never had any hallucinations before? Never. What, uh, what were you in civilian life? Oxford. Specializing? History. Good. I'm interested. We'll have to have a talk one day. You can come for dinner after we're married. Oh, we have to get you married then. Well, I have to win my appeal, too. Oh, yes, the uh, Frenchman. We'll get to that. Um, Peter, why haven't you told your M.O. about those headaches? Oh, I don't know, because... Say, so how did you know I've been having them right along? That's a guess. How long? Oh, about six months. Peter, I, I thought it was just since the other night. They're worse now, are they? Yes. And where do they hurt most? Uh, well, here and here. Mm-hmm. Frontal and temporal. Uh, you ever have a nasty crack on the head? No, just the usual. Do you, you mind if I try something with your eyes? <laughs> well, just as long as you give them back. <laughs> Good. And now you look straight ahead and don't move your eyes. Check. What are you looking at? June's legs. I'll move. You do, and I'll scream. Now, now without shifting your vision, what can you see on the extreme right? Uh, fireplace. Uh -huh. Center? Legs. Extreme left? Uh, windows. Curtains? Yes. Color? Uh, red. Right. That'll do. Can I move now? You can move over here. One last question, Peter. Have you imagined recently that you smelled something that couldn't possibly be there? What? Why, that's an extraordinary thing. Have you? Yes. Peter, you didn't tell me. Well, it, it, it was just too silly. I... No, it's important. It might explain everything. You mean how I jump without a parachute and live? No, not that. Now, uh, you saw this Frenchman, this heavenly messenger, quite clearly. Like I see June. And this smell, it came at the same time? Yes, very strongly. Could you place it? Fried onions. <laughs> Fried onions? Unmistakably? Unmistakably. And this messenger, will he return? Oh, yes, yes. He's, he's to bring me word on my appeal, you see. Yes, about that, Peter. Don't give in. Don't let anybody talk you into anything. You're entitled to an appeal, and you're going to fight for it. Right, I'm a fighting fool. Now, I'm going to leave you for a little while, but this afternoon, Peter, you're going to move into my house. Oh, uh, I mean, observation and all that? Mm -hmm, X-rays and things. Also, I like June around, and she's going to help us. We'll be there. Well, then, goodbye, and don't worry. I'm a devil of a good doctor. Hmm, well, quite a man, your Frank. Only, uh... Only what, Peter? My appeal. I just have a feeling it's not a good doctor that I need. It's a good lawyer. Now, here's a word from RCA Victor. You can expect top performance from every RCA Victor television set. You can enjoy perfect performance at all times for years to come with an RCA Victor factory service contract. You see, as the owner of an RCA Victor television set, 
you can enjoy protection with the RCA Victor factory service contract. You're always sure to receive prompt, courteous, and expert service by RCA's own factory-trained technicians. And the result? Hours and hours of uninterrupted pleasure. No unnecessary expenses for repairs or parts. Remember, this service is available with or without a contract only to RCA Victor television owners. Attention, electronic engineers. Right now, RCA has career openings for experienced engineers. If you're a qualified radio electronics engineer, RCA offers you lifelong opportunities. Just send a complete resume of your education and experience to Radio Corporation of America, Box 1, RCA Building, Radio City, New York. Your resume will be kept confidential. You are listening to the Screen Director's Playhouse, one of the weekly features on NBC's all-star festival of comedy, music, mystery, and drama. Brought to you by Chesterfield. Always milder, better tasting, cooler smoking, plus no unpleasant aftertaste. And that's the biggest plus in cigarette history. By the makers of Anison for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. And by RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television. Screen Director's Playhouse, starring Robert Cummings and Julia Adams, will continue in just a moment after a brief pause for station identification. This is the Screen Director's Playhouse. We continue transcribed with the third act of Stairway to Heaven, starring Robert Cummings as Peter and Julia Adams as June. Having paused for station identification, we now rejoin the universe. Enter then upon the solar system, Earth, England, the cottage of Dr. Frank Reed, a sleeping man, two speaking people. Oh, Frank, look at him. It's the first real rest Peter's had since, since the plane. I gave him a tablet to him. He'll sleep another two hours. How do you know? I know my patient. Come on. I'll give you a game of table tennis. Frank, what about the hallucinations? Will he have more? Yes. How can you be so sure? Because your Peter said the Frenchman, this heavenly messenger, promised to return. Now, what about our game of ping pong? Frank, without being very technical, can you tell me what's wrong with Peter? He's not going mad. No. Not the way you mean, but his brain is being affected. Yes. I found out a great deal to him when I asked him about his sense of smell. But what did it mean, that, that odor of fried onions he talked about? 
Well, Peter is having a series of highly organized hallucinations, a combination of vision, of hearing, and of idea. Now, to a neurologist, that points to a direct connection with the sense of smell or taste. And once that connection is established... Uh... Ah, I see here, June, I'm not going to tell you any more, and I want my game of table tennis. Frank? Mm-hmm? How did he survive the jump from the plane? I don't know. No, none of us do. Well, come on, I, I'll beat you with that game. Yes, we'll leave his door open just in case. All right, then, prepare for a drubbing. Rally for serve. All right. Oh, good return. Here we go. Oh, oh, oh look out. You're playing too far. Hmm. Fried onions. French fried onions. <laughs> eh bien, mon cher Peter, wake up, wake up. Ah, so you've come back. Oui, huh? oui, comment ça va? Frank, June, he's here, Frank. No, 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 it's no use. You know me and my tricks. Oh, oh, so you've gone and stopped time again, huh? <laughs> Right in the middle of a splendid foyer and by your young lady. I'd like to give you a splendid backhand right in the middle please, of your... Please, 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 please. <laughs> Peter, you've already caused me one promotion and two merit badges. Really? But if they're blaming you, that means my appeal, huh? Unhappily, I have the honor to inform you that you are to be allowed an appeal before the High Court. Oh, wonderful. In 24 hours. Not much time, but I've got a chance. Don't be too optimistic. Why not? Because the prosecution counsel will be... Well, who will it be? Oh, steal yourself, mon ami. Abraham Jones. Who? Abraham Jones, 1775. I never heard of him. Never? Never. Oh. He lived in Boston. An American? Disgustingly American. <laughs> Abraham Jones died in Boston in 1775, the first American to die by a British bullet. He took it very seriously. <laughs> Right between the eyes. Oh, and, and he's the uh, prosecuting counsel. Huh? Representing the Department of Records. <laughs> Sounds as if he might be just a wee bit prejudiced. Oh, sh- <laughs> you must never say that of an American. Well, if he isn't prejudiced, what is he? Just uh, hates your guts. <laughs> Yeah, but, but, but why me? Why does he hate... Oh, no, 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 not just you. That's why he is not prejudiced. He hates all Englishmen impartially. <laughs> and particularly, he hates this little affair with a Boston-born girl. Uh, it's not just a little affair. Woo-hoo, big affair. He will hate you even more. <laughs> well, look, no Yankee out of eternity is going to spoil my chances with June. Exactly. What you have to do is choose a good defense counsel. Well, who? Well, anybody who has ever lived. All right, who, for instance? Well, me, for instance. I'd as soon start walking up the stairway to heaven right now. Uh, that, uh, that stairway, it's mechanized, you know. You must join me for a little ride on it soon, eh? No fear of that. Now, look here. I've got to get myself a defense counsel, and the point is, whom shall it be? Well, don't think too long, Chef Peter. Abraham Jones is already preparing his case, and only 24 hours remain. Oh, I'll find somebody. I, I have to be sure I... I have to be... But hurry, Peter, hurry. Yes, yes, I'll, I'll hurry. Your time, like me, is slipping away. Away. Until next time, Peter. Out from the table. Oh, so I am. June, Frank. Peter. What is it, darling? 
Oh, he, he was here, the, the Frenchman. Well, at least he didn't drop in unexpectedly. Frank, they're going to allow my appeal. Well, then they won't make you go away. Oh, I, I don't know, June, I don't know. I hope you didn't give in to anything. No, but, but I have to find a defense counsel. The, the prosecution, oh, he's going to be hard. He's going to be awfully hard. When's your appeal to be? Tomorrow night. Haven't got much time. It's running out. You've got tomorrow. And what you need right now is some rest. Tomorrow we'll map out a campaign. Oh, but look, I, I can't wait. Uh, look, look, I'm going to give you a little injection. It'll help you to sleep. Very important. Your mind has to be fresh for the appeal, right? Oh, yes, right. Good boy. I'll be back in a moment. Oh, June. Look, I, I, I don't know whom to choose. Oh, darling, we'll find somebody. Yes, but who? Who? Darling, if I, if I made a mistake, if I choose the wrong man, I'll lose you. We can't lose each other, darling. Not now. The universe wouldn't stand for it. Oh, it, it didn't matter before. I didn't care. We all die, but now... Now it's unfair, oh, June. Please, unfair. Peter, try I'm to rest. I'll get Frank. So much to do, so much to do. Frank. Be right with you, June. I'm phoning. Uh, Dr. McGowan, I know you're swamped, but you've got to find an operating theater for tomorrow night. Later might be too late. Frank. Hmm? Yes, yes, I'm certain. X-ray indicates a concussion about two years ago. Oh, you've seen the ocular reports. Everything points to arachnoid adhesions involving the olfactory nerve in the brain. No. No, it must be tomorrow night. His trial is set for then, and that's why it's a crisis. Yes, I... Yes, I'll be over as soon as I can. Mm-hmm. I bring you the complete notes. What? No. No, 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 doctor. You're, you're the surgeon I want for the job. Thank you. Goodbye. Frank, is it dangerous? Peter will survive the operation if he wins his case. And if the little Frenchman doesn't play any tricks on him. Now, uh, how is he? Excited and, and feverish. All right, I have the hypodermic. Let's put him to sleep. Here, Peter, I promised you a ride on the stairway. Here, just sit down the step. Hmm, oh, it's a long stairway. No ending, no beginning. It's like that, monsieur. Come on, sit down. No, we're, we're going up, we're moving. Uh, t -t Tell me, what about your defense counsel? Who shall it be? Eh? I don't know, I can't think. These stairs... Uh, Clarence that... Darrow, perhaps, would you like? What? Oh, no, no, he was a criminal lawyer. Love isn't any crime. Well, uh, then a philosopher, great philosopher, uh, uh, Plato, huh? Plato? You, you mean the Plato? <laughs> That's the chap, yes. Excellent man. He's been dead long enough to acquire a splendid reputation. <laughs> yes, but he had some pretty elementary ideas about love, you know. Oh, those Greeks, cold as their marble. Uh, what about a Frenchman, eh? Richelieu, irresistible at 80. What about a Richelieu? No, no, no. He frightened me in The Three Musketeers. <laughs> Well, then, Peter, ooh, yeah, ooh, look, ooh. Just, just, an, just a man, an ordinary man with a sense of, sense of sentimentality and... Say, wait a minute. Oui? Why are you so concerned about my winning this case? <laughs> well, well, well I... The stairway, it's, it's still going up. You're trying to get me up there before my time. Oh, Peter, you don't trust me. I'm getting out. I'm going back before it's too late. Oh, Peter, come back. Come back, Peter. Come oh, get back. away. Get down Peter, the stairs. Only back. they're moving up. Come up. Back. have to run faster. 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 Peter, come back to me. Peter, 
almost got me. No, Peter. If we, we were on a stairway going up, up. What's that noise? Just a thunderstorm, darling. You slept a long time since last night. Last night? What time is it now? Six o'clock in the evening. Six o'clock. But my trial, it's only a few hours away, and I, I don't have any counsel. I, I don't have any case. Is he awake? Oh, Frank, I guess I'm awake. <laughs> it was touch and go for a minute. He, he almost fooled me. Don't be fooled, Peter. You need all your wits now. Don't be fooled. Frank, what are you dressed like that for? Leather jacket and goggles. It's a storm. I'm going on my motorbike for the ambulance. Ambulance? Yes, darling. You're going to the hospital. Oh, but why? Well, there's a surgeon there who's going to perform a little operation. Okay? Is it necessary? Mm-hmm. It's a good idea. Okay, but I need somebody to state my case. An operation won't help you. You leave that to your doctor and don't worry. I'll think up a lawyer while I'm riding. Uh, n- nobody famous? Oh, no, 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 just common sense. An Englishman. Oh, is he have to be? Uh, nothing personal, June. Uh, if I pass the ambulance on the way, I'll go on to the hospital. They'll take care of Peter when they get here. I'll see you later. Oh, June, I'm, I'm terribly afraid. Who'll defend me? They might appoint some stooge. Not up there. You can count on a fair trial from them because... because the surgeon's good and... And we do love each other. They, they must think of that. The ambulance? I'm Dr. McGowan. I suppose you're the girl. Yes, Doctor. Please come out of the rain. The men are getting the stretcher. Peter's in there. Did you meet Dr. Reeve on the way? Oh, please hurry. Peter's worse. Uh, and... Miss. Yes? Uh, I'm sorry. Is something wrong? Frank Reeve. The slippery road. What's happened to Frank? And that motorcycle. We were coming around a bend. He didn't see us. Is he hurt? No. Then he's dead. Yes. He left complete notes for the operation. Oh, Frank. Peter. June. I'm here, darling. We'll be at the hospital soon. Where's Frank? June, look at me. Where is he? He... He's gone ahead. He's had an accident. Hasn't he, June? Yes. He's dead. Yes, he's dead. Frank. Injection nurse. Well, squadron leader, you're looking fine. Surgery ready. Uh, June. See you soon, Peter. I think so. I I think I found someone to take my case, June. How are you, squadron leader? Uh, Oh, oh, fine, Doc. Like to smell this? Sure, anything you say. Just inhale. Breathe easily. 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 Count to ten. 
Now may I present Flying Officer Bob to Hoopshaw? What ho, Doc? Bob, Peter Sparks. Right. Peter's in trouble, isn't he? Yes, I should say he is. Have you been waiting for him? Thought I might be able to help. Ruddy good wireless operator, you know. Well, I'm afraid he can't use a wireless operator, Bob, but he might have need for a ruddy good friend. Right, oh. I'll be waiting. And near Dr. Reeves, uh, the officer in charge. Dr. Reeve, you're familiar with the case of squadron leader Peter Carter? Yes, rather. Splendid, for he's chosen you to be his counsel. Well, you know, I rather hoped you would. You accept? I do. Then I'm afraid you must plead his case extemporaneously. The trial begins in half an hour. Sidereal time, of course. Well, Peter, here's where we find out. Appeal sits to consider the case of Department of Records versus Squadron Leader Peter Carter of the Royal Air Force. Members of the jury, you know your duty. The counsel for the prosecution, Mr. Abraham Jones, will take his place. Very well, Your Honor. The counsel for the defense, Dr. Frank Ree, will take his place. Very well, my lad. I call upon the prosecution to open the case. <clears throat> your Honor, members of the jury... In the course of human events, it inevitably becomes necessary to die. This is an experience which we have all shared. An experience which Peter Carter, an Englishman, <laughs> refuses to accept on the grounds that one, a mistake has been made, and two, because of that mistake, he has fallen in love as a result of a borrowed 36 hours, borrowed from eternity. Well, I object to the word borrowed used by the honored consul. My client borrowed nothing. He was given 36 hours, and they were his and his alone to do with as he saw fit. And this Englishman saw fit to profess a love for an American girl, a girl, I say, from Boston. Why stress their nationalities? Very important, sir, very important. Nationality can have no standing in heaven. 143 million Americans, sir, will be pained to hear you say that. <laughs> Knowing the importunate nature of English airmen and the sweet, flower-like character of American womankind, I cannot but think that a tragedy is in the brewing. And on what grounds do you make this prediction? On the grounds of experience. I have watched wars and troops and infatuations from this most excellent vantage point. And of the myriad meetings of souls, how many gave rise to love, to true love? Not one in 5,000. There, then, is my case. The 5,000th. To be proven, sir. I call up Flying Officer Robert Trubshaw to the stand. Right-o, Doc. Fire away. You were associated with the defendant for how long? Three years. His Fox. In that time, would you say that he knew many women? 
Oh, I'd say many is the word for it. There was one at Bourne Market. Uh, yes, I mean... uh, particulars are not necessary. Uh, would you say that Peter Carter was rather, well, a uh, rake? A smasher. Gentlemen of the jury, need I say more? Here lies the proof of British inconstancy and subterfuge. Does it? Well, then I ask Flying Officer Trubshaw, to your knowledge, did Peter Carter at any time or under any conditions express the sentiment of love to any woman living or dead? Yes. I rest my case, Your Honor. You rest it too easily, Mr. Jones. Flying Officer Trubshaw, who was this woman? His mother, sir. Anyone else? No, sir. Except June, of course. She must be a proper corker. Thank you. That'll do. Millard, gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution questions a love that has been expressed only once and that has never been counterfeited, never imitated. Here are two people who would never have met but for a mistake higher up. You witness them penalized for the most natural and simple thing in the world. They fell in love. Here are devotion and truth and friendship. The absence of these qualities is even now ripping the world like a knife. They are its only hope, and so they must be nurtured. Let love live in the persons of squadron leader Peter Carter and his June. That is my case. And I deny it. Should the vibrant humor of a young American girl be stifled in the pages of Punch? Should she be condemned to England's warm drinks, cold rooms, and the horrors of the British Broadcasting Corporation? I say no. Your Honor, I beg permission to call upon two more witnesses. As you wish, Dr. Reeve. Then I call Peter and June. You ask the impossible, sir. Impossible? Do I hear such a word on the lips of an American? You flatter me, sir. You have always flattered yourself, sir. But uh, not without some cause. My witness will be heard, Your Honor. The stairway will descend to the operating room of squadron leader Peter Carter. Clamp. Watch that sponge, nurse. Suction. His pulse is slowing. We'll have to work a little faster. Section. There is no need to like deny ourselves a dimension of time. The operation will continue. I call squadron leader Peter Carter. Hello, hello, Frank. Hello, Peter. How's my operation no. going? Fine. Looks like a success. Well, thanks to you. And I suppose this handsome-looking gentleman is Mr. Abraham Jones. You know me, sir. Who could mistake you, sir? Such charm could be bred only in Boston. And are these the type of compliments you employed on the American lady? You cannot compliment loveliness, Mr. Jones, but can only recognize it. You claim to love her? I do love her. Can you prove it? Can a starving man prove he's hungry except by eating? Give me 50 years and I'll prove it. Good show, Peter. Hit him again. Defense counsel will not prompt the witness. Squadron leader Carter, would you die for this woman? Yes, but I'd a lot rather live for her. <laughs> Your witness, Dr. Reeve. No questions. Then I'll call the woman in the case to the witness stand. Peter. Oh, Peter, darling. Take my hand, John. Child, 
You wouldn't lie to a fellow Bostonian, would you? I love Peter. When did you meet him? A few days ago. And you call this love? I can call it nothing else, unless you wish to be lied to by a Bostonian. Would you be willing to die for him? Yes. Would you take his place in the balance sheet? Yes. No, no, don't believe us. Stand aside, sir. Prosecution has no right to ask Peter anything. Carter, you stand before the high court Oh, of shut up! <laughs> How dare you? This is contempt. Do you realize, sir, that you forfeited any chance of winning your case? All right. Take me, but you're not getting June. Your Honor, members of the jury, as even a Bostonian must admit, he really does love her. Your witness, Dr. Reeve. June, do you trust me? Of course I do, Frank. Well, then do as I say. You must take Peter's place in the other world. Frank, are you out of your mind? Will you stay out of this, Peter? June, if you really love him, step onto the staircase with us. The stairway to heaven. Oh, he's crazy, June. Don't listen. It's the only way, June. I love you, Peter. I'm ready, Frank. And step to my side. Goodbye, Peter. No, June. Take care, Dr. Reeve. Once the stairway moves in the whole universe, nothing is stronger than the law. We're moving, June. Goodbye, darling. June. June, come back. Nothing stronger than the law. Frank, it's... It stopped. The stairway has stopped. June! Yes, Mr. Jones. Nothing is stronger than law in the universe. But on Earth, nothing is stronger than love. June, he's waiting for you. Oh, Peter. My darling. My darling, I almost lost you. My lad, my case rests. And mine is conceded. The jury has just signified its verdict as unanimous. Appeal granted. I'm allowed to live. And to love. We've won, Peter. There now remains the new date on squadron leader Carter's file. It is written on this document. Will both counsels approve it? Oh, yes, my lad. Uh, mm, yes, that's very generous. Uh, isn't it a little too generous, Your Honor? Oh, come along, Mr. Jones. Back up the stairway. I'm going to try to convert you into an Englishman. Sir, once a man has trod the soil of Boston... It's over, June. It's just beginning, Peter. I'll see you later, darling. After the operation. Yes. What a great and wonderful thing it'll be to be alive. And that was the Screen Director's Playhouse adaptation of A Matter of Life and Death, or Stairway to Heaven, as some of you may call it. Fantastic stuff. Just time to tell you all briefly about the next special, which I began work on this week. The eagle-eyed amongst you may have noticed from the films that I review on this show that I'm rather into a certain genre of film, namely classic horror movies, and especially the horror movies produced by a certain studio during the golden age of cinema. Oh, it's alive! It's alive! It's alive! I am Dracula. Police, quickly! The Invisible Man is in my house. He's mad. He's killed a man tonight. The Mummy, 
Is it dead or alive? Human or inhuman? Whoever is bitten by a werewolf and lives becomes a werewolf himself. I am talking, of course, about Universal Studios, who between 1923 and 1960 gave the world the creeps with such films as The Phantom of the Opera, Frankenstein, Dracula, The Wolfman, The Invisible Man, The Bride of Frankenstein, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, and of course, perhaps the greatest film ever made, Captive Wild Woman. Well, I've decided to make the universal horror films and monsters the subject of my next special, which will be episode 21, and its name will be... A Universe of Horrors. So if you're a fan, or even if you just want to know why these films have endured, then hear the complete story of the films and the creatures and the people that brought them to life in episode 21, A Universe of Horrors. As I said, I've just broken ground on it, so I'll be working flat out to bring it to you as soon as possible. Next week, there'll be ass-kicking aplenty as we go back to take a look at ye olde action movies Many people think that action movies came later in Hollywood's history, but there were many, many asses being kicked in the 1930s and beyond, I'll have you know, and we'll be revisiting a fine, frightened few of them, so snap off the safety, unsheath your sword, sir, and smear a black line of whatever it is across your cheekbone as if that'll camouflage you, you absolute lunatics, as we visit... Black and white action movies, for the love of God. Also, it's competition week, so ready those trigger fingers, and I'll see you right here for episode 19. Amen. As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.